everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast that covers all horror movies one movie in one episode at a time but wait we're doing something different this week for the first time ever we are dedicating an episode to a television series because we are at the end of our uh, purge run with last week's posting of the forever purge so we are uh, looking at the Purge television series, which ran uh, 2018 and 2019 for two seasons, 20 episodes. And they they work so well with the actual film series and they fit so well kind of within the canon of it. We figured it's worth covering. So I am not alone. I am joined once again by my frequent co-host. You've heard her on The Losers Club. You've read her words on Daily Grindhouse and Rue Morgue, Bloody Disgusting, Valor Malum. I just mispronounced that website. But the point is she's everywhere. She's probably with you right now and you don't even know it. (laughs) Rachel Reeves, how are we? Hi. Good purge to you, Mike. Happy purge. Uh (laughs) <laughs> Ever after? No, wait, that's bad. We don't want that one. Uh, good purge to you, yes. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So I th- was. I think it was your idea to actually cover the TV series, right? Yeah, I actually. I mean, I watched it when it first came out, and well, the first season. Some for some reason, I f- didn't catch up with the second one until and until this. That's why the show is canceled. Hi, it's me. It was well, my fault. Hi, hello, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Um, but. I really enjoyed it, and I was actually kind of impressed by it. I think a lot of times these sort of franchise spin-off TV series can feel, I don't know, disappointing a lot of times. But this one, I thought, actually worked pretty well. So yeah. I thought it was worth discussing. It is. And the three TV series that like have spun off of the movies that I know of or remember really well, there's the Scream TV series, which mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with Woodsboro. The first, and we mentioned it briefly when we talked about Scream 4 way back, like when we started the show, like we had Heather Wixon on, and I think we talked like about the show for like 20 minutes just as a, as a how do you do. And I remember really liking the first two seasons as on their own, but never watching the third after the first episode. Yeah. I haven't watched a Scream one. Yeah. But it's like horror's got such a great track record of mm-hmm. having TV shows. I mean, you've got, I mean, Freddie had his. Which is not. Um, but it, it's, it's, there. it's there. It's <laughs> there. It's there. Um, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer just had one, mm-hmm. which was also quite different, but um, good in its own ways. Yeah, Scream. We've got The Purge. I know I'm missing some other obvious ones, but I'm getting a Friday the 13th. <laughs> yep. I was so excited when to be 
started the post, and then Screenbox started the post Freddy's Nightmares. Because yeah. I never missed that show as a kid. Like, I would watch that literally on a four inch portable black and white TV if that's all I had on hand. And I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to go back and revisit this yeah. show. And then, like, four episodes in, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, this is. Not the same. This is not the same when you're in your 40s and not like a preteen. And then the Friday the 13th TV series, which has nothing to do with Jason, uh, but it's about um, an antiques shop, you know, which is definitely going to bring in the fans of like the teen fans of slasher franchises. But I love that. (laughs) That show I have revisited um, and that holds up. Like that show is awesome. I really like that one. So. But this one directly ties into the movies, so we figure, like, why not cover? Really enjoying covering the Purge series. Um, it seems like our listeners have really enjoyed it because, like, the numbers have been ridiculous. So thank you so much, listeners. So we're going to chase those sweet, sweet downloads one more time <laughs> this week. It's basically... So, Rachel, you mentioned, like, you are a bigger fan of the first season. Um mm-hmm. Why don't you give us an overview of like what the first season is all about? Sure. So I I, I uh, should say before I apologize, before you do that, for folks that want to watch the Purge TV show, if you haven't already, uh, you can find it on uh, the Peacock Network is where you can watch it. And I believe Tubi also has it. Um, It's on Hulu, too. Hulu. That's right. Hulu is where where you can get it, not Tubi. Um, but ad free on Peacock if you have that tier, which is how I watched it. So, yeah. Um, so this one, it falls in between. It came out right after. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right, it came out before Forever Purge, mm-hmm. but came out right after. Oh my gosh, is it the first election purge. year? Oh, first came, purge. Yeah. Okay, I was like, wait, all those, all those titles, I get all mixed up. But yeah, so it came out before Forever Purge, but it is, it takes the place over um, twelve hours of the purge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shocking, right? And it's actually kind of interesting because it's a whole season that takes place over this one night. But we are following a bunch of different characters and their storylines, and they are all new characters. And so we're getting to see backstories, motivations, what's happening to them in ways that we've never seen before, just because I think of the extended time that we're able to sort of weave all of these storylines together um, and follow all these characters over the course of one night, which is different than what we see in the second season. Um, But that's kind of the situation here. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, Kigo, you my bad. Oh, I didn't know if you want me to get into like, do you want, to, if you want to talk about characters and those specific things yet? But that's kind of the the uh, short and sweet version. Yeah, of, it's, of this. they're basically a bunch of intertwined stories. And for the first probably six or seven episodes, you don't really know how they're going to intersect with one another. Um, mm-hmm. You, in matter, they really don't intersect with one another. And it's not until like really like the end of the seventh episode and then maybe like the last two or three episodes where everybody's like story uh, kind of like come to a head because of like one character. But do you want to talk like super briefly, like what are the main 
through lines here? Like, what are the main stories that we follow before we kind of dive deeper into each one or talk about what we liked a little bit about each one? What's like the the TV guide synopsis? Yeah, so we've got um, one of the couples or one of the storylines, it revolves around this brother and sister. Um, Brother... Miguel, who is a Marine, and he is looking for his sister, who has apparently joined a cult and is out there on purge night. So one of the storylines is chasing her around all night, trying to find her and save her. And then we've also got a young married couple who um, are going to a purge party. They are not NFF. And oh my god, NFFA members, but they're looking uh, for some of that sweet, sweet NFFA money to fund one of their projects. And um, they so have they go that to this wonderful, like we're going to take money from bad people, but do good with it, like that moral, yeah, that moral dilemma there. But then they've also got a personal connection with this family, as it seems like they both have had um, a romantic interlude uh, relationship with the daughter of the folks that are hosting this party. So you've got that tossed in there as well. And um, the wife is also pregnant. So that's another part there. And um, then we have a woman named Jane, who is a, I don't know exactly what she does, something mergers and acquisitions, a powerful businesswoman. Mm -hmm who is working on Purge Night, sealing a deal, but has also hired a mercenary to uh, kill her boss, who happens to be William Baldwin on Purge Night. And we see how that uh, doesn't necessarily go as she planned. Um, Then we've got uh, a man named Joe, who has some axes to grind and has been through some shit and his story is actually kind of is interesting because it feels a bit more vague until the end what his mm-hmm. motivations are for being out and about on purge night and i can tell you like i for one it wasn't quite what i initially thought same where his story was gonna go so i kind of like how they sort of withheld some of that information um and then who else do we have is that pretty much i think it? we hit it i think that we hit okay the main through lines there. Yeah, would, it's going to be interesting to talk about Joe because I think like what's fascinating is how banal his backstory ends up being. Because I thought mm-hmm. they were going in like a completely different direction. So, yeah. Let, I want to mention just some of the cast really quickly um, because it, it's a pretty fascinating collection of character actors and genre actors that we have in here like for one like i know she's like at the bottom of my list but i'll mention her first like uh fiona dorif uh i know has a role in this show and i i had watched the first episode before um doing the rewatch and i remember watching it and thinking like "Eh, it's just you know didn't really hook me in so i didn't watch it until we did this and then like Mm-hmm. basically mainlined all 20 episodes over like the course of a week. Um, yeah. But I had forgotten that she shows up in this. And this is uh, probably because like I watched this before I watched uh, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky and the, mm-hmm. I still need mm-hmm. to see the second season, but she is become one of those actors that I find really captivating. Um, yeah. And I don't think they knew 
how good of a performer they had here. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they did, they would give her more to do. But yeah. she plays, like you mentioned the cult, like she is the head of the cult that Penelope joins. And she poses as a social worker. Like, and what she does is she gets all of these vulnerable persons in. Uh, addicts, homeless youth, people that are like, are really down on their luck. And this cult sacrifices, like the members like sacrifice themselves to purgers. And it's like cleansing the purgers. And it's a, but you come to find out like what she's really doing is getting that sweet, sweet NFFA money at the end of the day is, is what it is. But I found it fascinating that she was a part of the show. I wish they would bring her back into the series. There's definitely room for her. Um, And then Joe is played by uh, Lee Turgeson, who my note here, he is literally have, has been in everything for the past 20 years. Like, he's Tobias in Oz, which I've never watched Oz. Do I need to watch I Oz? I either. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those shows that, you know, it was like HBO, but when HBO was just on cable, so I never mm-hmm. saw it, and I've just never caught up with it. Yeah. So I just know that it's very depressing. And I just wonder if I don't, I don't know if I have that in me, but he's like third from the top in Oz. He starred in like 88 episodes of the weird science TV series, which today I learned there are 88 episodes of a weird science TV series. That's insane. Um, He's in the collection. Uh, He is, which we're going to be covering soon. And also is he, I, I thought this was Pat Healy. Like I watched this whole show. And I was so, I'm like, fucking yeah, Pat Healy's in this. I love <laughs> Pat Healy from Cheap Thrills and The Innkeeper. Like, I love to see Pat mm-hmm. Healy getting work. And then, like, when I'm looking up IMDb, I'm like, where's Pat Healy's name? <laughs> and realized that it was Lee Turgeson, which I keep calling him Turd Ferguson in my mind because the name. Understandable. <laughs> so. That's. Um, That's an easy thing to go yeah. to immediately. You got Billy Baldwin as like David, the smarmy boss. And like he has never looked more like his brother than he does in this. Totally. Like, it's scary how much he looks like Alec in this. Yeah. What is what's Billy Baldwin's like best role? Like I can't I know he's in things, but I can't like for the life of me remember like a billy baldwin movie off the top of my head sliver (laughs) i don't know if i've watched sliver i mean i don't know if you need to but i mean it's it's a classic um sharon stone Mm -hmm. you know erotic thriller that came out i think it came out after basic instinct it did i know that much Um, So it was just capitalizing on, you know, oh, Sharon Stone is the hottest woman on the planet. Mm -hmm. We need more of her in these roles. And I have to say, I've never found Billy Baldwin attractive, but I did kind of find him attractive in that movie. So that's why I'm saying it's his best movie. It might be one of those things. Well, if Sharon Stone finds him attractive, maybe I have to as well. Like, she is wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to take a quick look here because what's fascinating for our listeners is when we do re- – no, I'm not going to do that right now because I'm on a different series, so <laughs> never mind. Um, but needless to say, like Billy Baldwin, someone is like screaming right now, like naming all his roles, and you can email us and let us know. Um, I had a note here about Colin Woodle who plays Rick. Like Rick is the 
uh, one half of the married couple in this, like Rick and Jenna, that mm-hmm. um, want to kind of align with the NFFA, and they're like a middle class couple that want to like get that NFA money. And the note I put up put on like Colin is, and I don't know if this makes sense, but he just looks like the the kind of guy that you would cast. Like if you need someone that gets pissed off about unlimited access to threesomes with two beautiful women and you want someone to (laughs) look pissed off and entitled about it because it's not all about him. He has the perfect face for it. Like he really, I mean, I don't, I didn't, he's in it. I don't know. The position he's in, I think is he handled it decently. Well, you know, he didn't necessarily expect his wife to have a full on like, affair with this woman Mm -hmm. he thought they were just hooking up so all things considered but yes he does he thought it was about him it's what he what happened yeah and then was like oh wait you actually like look at her as a person and like Mm -hmm. want to have a relationship with her well shit (laughs) you mean i'm replaceable or expendable um but he could have played that like well okay like i guess you need this that's fine but instead mm-hmm. like he wanted to take his ball and go home basically yeah it's like the that to me was like well i guess we'll talk we talk about like the um movies here a little bit more but he has a perfect look for that yeah. like he's just something about it so but he's also like the star in unfriended dark web um mm-hmm. he's the dude that steals the laptop that sets everything into motion, uh, which again another series we have to cover at some point. A nice like two, yeah. two episode, two episode series. Um, Hannah Emily Anderson. It's the last note I have here. Who plays Jenna, who's Rick's wife in this? And I'm like, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? She is the fangirl, the Jigsaw fangirl in mm-hmm. Jigsaw. So she's the one that is like absolutely about all things Jigsaw from that. Uh, attempt to kind of reboot the series a few years back she's also like i mean she's in a lot of different horror things and a lot Mm -hmm. of like more indie horror projects like i love her in what keeps you alive which is a really great movie uh colin Mm -hmm. minahan and Brittany allen are in that love it um and then uh we also have uh dark nature which i actually thought was really fun kind of a creature feature movie i it's i know it's probably it's about a therapy group that goes um you know on this like camping trip so mm-hmm. i'm not necessarily sure how, if you would appreciate okay. how they handled that stuff but uh berkeley brady uh the director a canadian director that's and she's uh, one of the lead characters in that as well so okay. still active in the horror sphere i haven't seen those and i put a note next to both like dark nature potential psychoanalysis episode yeah the road, if we ever come yep. to therapy <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I put like Jessica Garza who plays Penelope. I thought she was the highlight of the series. I really enjoyed watching her in this. And um, I don't have his name in front of me, but the dude who plays Cameron, the shitty boyfriend in David Gordon Green's Halloween, he plays the shitty boyfriend to Penelope in this. Um, yeah, he, it, he's, he's always like that kind yeah. of guy. Yeah, like. he has that look. He has that like. You know, you could be, you know, if um, if Kyle Gallner, like, prices himself out of the market and you need, like, someone to play a sleazy boyfriend or you need, mm-hmm. like, a younger Kyle Gallner, who I love in everything, by the way. There's nothing totally. he can't do. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're listening, Kyle Gallner, just 
come on the show. Um, but he, instead of like throwing his girlfriend's phone in the punch bowl, this time he's like giving his girlfriend heroin. So his you know. shittiness has <laughs> kind of escalated a few mm-hmm. notches. So yeah, those are some of the cast notes I had here. Um, left. I also. Like, I would want to call it Amanda Warren, who plays Jane, because she's in a lot of things. She's in like the TV show Dickinson. Mm-hmm. She's and uh, like so she's a regular um, in that. And then also Gossip Girl and uh, East New York, which is still running. So lot, lots okay. of TV, lots yeah. of TV stuff. Yeah. And that's a lot of it, a lot of genre and a lot of TV stuff, which just makes sense yeah. for a, a show like this. Um, yeah. Her speech to Joe um, in like the ninth episode. I was like, went from like not really caring too much about that character to like when mm-hmm. her whole backstory is revealed, being yeah. like, you know, again, we're spoiling the show. Like when she is like killed off, I'm like, well, that sucks. Like I was really hoping in the last episode you would find out like actually she survived. It sucked when she was killed because I really like her speech to Joe. She's like, fuck you, dude, is great. Yeah. So. Let's talk about a couple of these um, storyline threads. So I guess, like, do you think any of these would work as a standalone, like, 90-minute Purge movie? If you were to tease them out, could (sighs) any of these, like, work on their own? I mean, probably, but I think we've already kind of seen them in one way or another, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm not necessarily sure I would want to. Okay. Um. Jane's story might be interesting as a full one, just because I do think like her storyline, we see that they're not only like what she's been through in her life, but why she wants to kill her boss. And we see, you know, Billy Baldwin kind of addressing it. That storyline addresses kind of sexism and racism and sort of that sexual element that I was talking about that we haven't mm-hmm. necessarily seen in some of the Purge movies. It kind of touches on that a little yeah. bit more. And so that might be something that would be interesting. But I feel like, you know, the NFFA party. Okay, we've seen that. Yeah. We've seen all these rich white people before. Uh, the brother-sister thing. I do like the cult part of it. So I think actually, that would be the one you could really make a 90-minute a yeah, that's the part I would lean into it more than like them just like running around trying to find mm-hmm. each other. Because I do think we have seen that part of yeah. it. But yeah, the cult aspect would be kind of quite interesting. Yeah. What really struck me with this season is the first of the two seasons is it felt like the storylines ran out of steam by the fourth or fifth episode. So the, mm-hmm. all of them take pretty drastic turns. Like you see with Jane's story, she has to work in her office with like about like a dozen other co-workers on purge night. And she pays like a mercenary who, to go and kill her boss. And that story pretty much runs out of steam by like the fourth episode. It becomes something much different. Um, and there's, it becomes like you go, she gets rescued by this group called the Matron Saints, who I would have followed them around for more of yeah. the series, which is a group of like total badass mercenary women that, mm-hmm. like you said, like detail like some of like the sexism within the purge, where they say explicitly like 80% of the crime that's committed on purge night is like violence towards women. So yeah. they are going around and 
any woman that calls them, they're taking out the men. And they're not murdering them, right? They're just basically, like, completely incapacitating them and torturing them. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's awesome. Like, that, their storyline is great. But Jane's goes from, like, corporate espionage to, like, tagging along with the matron saints to getting trapped in her boss's, like, sex dungeon Mm -hmm. to getting kidnapped by Joe. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, all over the course of, like, nine episodes. Like, because I, it doesn't feel like there's enough to fill that out. Yeah. I will say that I think that maybe it would have worked better as, like, eight episodes. This whole mm-hmm. series. Like, ho- the whole first season anyways. Eight episodes versus ten, maybe. But, you know, whatever. I also, like, it's so funny rewatching it. And, like, that corporate part that you're talking about. There's a lot of, like, paper shuffling. Mm-hmm. And, like... <laughs> holding a lot of papers and putting papers in piles. But, you know, like, all right, let's get back to work. Yeah. Lots of work doing so much work. But and they don't actually know. Like, we have to close this deal tonight. Like, that is like a thing that comes up. You know, like, like, what deal? Like, what is it? It's just a MacGuffin, right? It's like Yeah, they're, the... they're never actually, like, doing anything. No. Well, I think what's fascinating in that storyline is, like, I think they all sign paperwork saying, like, when we're working on this floor, you can't purge anyone. Like, you can't purge yeah. your coworker. And yeah. what ends up happening is, like, one of the coworkers, like, she lures another coworker, uh, and they're competing for a uh, promotion. She mm-hmm. lures him to another floor with the promise of, like, sex, and she ends yeah. up killing him. And it's like, okay, so what paperwork do you need to fill out so I get my... It's like really cold. It's really chilling. Um, yeah. It's like, do I like let HR know or like, are they just mm-hmm. going to do it? <laughs> and what's funny is like, you see how they interplay with one another. The guy is like, you know, like if she gets it, she's earned it. Others will come up and she's like, I want this promotion. Like she's yeah. like, give it to me. So she's probably going to get it. Um, yeah. But the sexism comes into play because like Billy Baldwin, uh, who again plays a very good sexist. He's mm-hmm. very good at playing a smarmy, <laughs> smarmy boss, like shockingly good at yeah. it. Um, you know, hires Jane, who's like, we should point out, is like a black woman who mm-hmm. is the first to go to her college. And her mother is always encouraging her, like, play the game, like, do these pageants, do, you know, make sure you smile because, like, you have to play the game. Um, yeah. And Jane refuses to do so. And she keeps getting passed over by other women who will play the game. Yeah. And it boils down to she eventually decides she doesn't want to purge her boss. So she goes to his apartment to call it off and and warn him. Come to find out, like, his bodyguards have already taken out the assassin and they've done so in pretty decisive fashion. And what you have is this room filled with women that are tied up and rich white men are all in there and mm-hmm. they're all just, it's really disturbing. Basically it's like a lot of fondling and yeah. Over the clothes you know. touching, mm-hmm. but what does he say? No penetration. No, you know, it's just, and that, but the women aren't allowed to say anything or right. fight back. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they can just leave at the end of the night. And it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> and if they fight back, then they're disposed of, basically, yeah. is the implication. So yeah. it's um, 
and she ends up um she ends up tied up and in this position and it's just like the power dynamic there it's gross and it's Super meant to gross. be yeah it's just like it's well and then you see it Something I liked in a weird way is that you see this woman that has shown up briefly once or twice. I can't remember her name. It's not even important. Mm -hmm. But another woman that she works with who ends up getting promoted and, you know, whatever. She's there in the room. And basically, you know, Baldwin is like, see, you know, she knows how to play the game. Mm -hmm. And that's why she got the corner office. And, you know metaphorically i guess it's the fact that she's complicit and knows mm-hmm. that this is happening and so just having her in that room yeah. it's just like yeah i see what's happening and i'm not i'm saying nothing <laughs> yeah but jane is rescued by joe um mm-hmm. because he is jane is unknown to her is on kind of his like target list which we'll talk about when we talk about joe and she yeah. goes from like okay i don't want to purge my boss it's the wrong thing to do to like fuck this dude and with like <laughs> yeah. no prejudice whatsoever just like puts a bullet right between his eyes which is yep. pretty shocking because you're like they just killed billy baldwin which i you know <laughs> guess yeah. and that is one of the things about this series is like they do they have these characters you think are going to like run through the whole show and they're killed off pretty pretty quickly um what were your thoughts on the jenna rick lily storyline um i it's fine you know there's a lot of like it is interesting to me like i appreciate them having this sort of relationship dynamic where you know, this woman does have feelings for both her husband and this woman that they seem to have a history with. You know, I'm not sure if it was just a one-time, like, threesome thing or a reoccurring sort of, like, thruple situation, but... They imply, like, it's a, um ongoing situation, but it's meant to be purely... Because I think it's implied that he can't perform or they can't perform intimately without her... Gotcha. That's right. That's why, because she's like, it's, you know, says like, oh, it's my baby Mm -hmm. too. And like, it wouldn't have happened without me. Um, And so, like, I thought that was an interesting thing to, like, you know, put forth and handle in sort of like a relatively decent way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, not not trying to sexualize it and just showing it more as just like, yeah, they just complications of multiple people in this relationship. Mm Similarly, I do think it drags in parts and there's a lot of, you know, back and forth between these three people and how they're feeling about each other and their wealth and their business and back and forth. So that gets a little tiresome. But Mm. yeah, he's very much like a pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like I came from nothing and I want the good life. So they want to take her father's like her father is running this like massive purge party for the wealthy um where it's like all the billionaires basically are there yeah and they like one of the sources of tension that comes up between like rick and jenna is like when the dad hands rick a gun and says like kill this man he doesn't do it but he holds the gun longer than jenna likes like i didn't like jenna a lot because she's very judgmental and she's like you would have done it and he's like i don't he's I didn't like he didn't do anything like right. I think he did with what a lot of us would do in that situation. And that is like kind of like freeze and have no idea how to act. Oh, yeah. And like weighing your options and like, OK, so like what 
you know, which road am I going to go down here? And mm-hmm. I, I will say, I think that's what I like about this series is that it's able to further investigate and go down some of these roads that the movies just kind of tease mm-hmm. and like don't have time really to address. Yeah. But just kind of weighing like how the purge affects everything you do the other 364 days of the year, right? Because he's basically thinking, okay, well, this guy just agreed to give me $75 million to invest in this project that's going to help provide housing for low-income individuals. And, like, that's a good thing. And, like, you know, maybe if I kill this one person, but I'm going to be able to help so many others. Like, that's an understandable conversation to have in your head. And so I I think that it's – I like how they – sort of present that and Mm -hmm. you kind of see that playing out with this couple is sort of weighing the options of like getting in bed with some maybe not so good people but like you know what are you going to do like are you either going to take the high road and maybe not ever be able to help all those people or just take this shortcut and then be able to actually fulfill your dream like I don't I don't know like so I I do like that part of it yeah it's not an easy choice um But it it feels like Jen and Rick are constantly at odds, and it's yeah. unneeded. Like they come together, they're at odds. They come together, it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's back and it forth. Out. It's just too much back and forth. Totally. Um, but what ends up happening is like the super rich party gets overrun by the resistance, and all of the eat the rich, eat, eat the, the rich. rich. Yep. So all and like the super nice um, like housemaid is like because Jenna was like kind to her like earlier. It's like, OK, you can escape. It helps her and Rick escape back to their home. And then we presume Lily is dead. But nope, she comes back and tries to kill Rick. And then Jenna ends up killing Lily um, in order to save Rick. Um, and this is the part like what what this show reminded me of. It's a pretty it reminds me a lot of like 24 because mm. you have 10 episodes that play out over 12 hours. So it's not quite yeah. real time, but like it's kind of sort of real time. But it's also that like, OK, what are we going to do with um, Kim now? Like Kim has been like kidnapped and then she was held hostage. And like, we need to do something else. Uh, we have like six hours left. Well, <laughs> maybe she can like get trapped by a bunch of mountain lions and we had like, it was like these escalating <laughs> conflicts that were so like mm-hmm. like so ridiculous in terms of the escalation um, like when the neighbor the dad from stranger things comes over mm-hmm. and like <laughs> tries and to kill them what did he want to kill them for again were they just kind of I like don't even, jerks it was like yeah i don't know just dumb neighbor shit like yeah, i just don't like, even you, remember yeah like we've lived next to each other forever and like Something about their driveway. It was their driveway. It was okay. like you parked you park in front of my house and that's my space. And what was great, so that he wants to kill them, which is it's my right yep. to do it. Uh, and that's a thing that comes up over and over in this show. Like it's my right to do this. Not whether it's right mm-hmm. or wrong, but like I'm allowed to do it. I loved it when his like wife starts ringing the doorbell after they've killed him. And yeah. she's like, Where's my husband? And she ends up getting yeah. That was kind of hysterical. It super hysterical. And it's just like, go back home. Right. What you... <laughs> so they end up getting kidnapped by like once they kill Lily, you think, all right, their story is over for now. 
And then nope. the next thing you know, like <laughs> Joe bursts in and kidnaps the two of them and drags them out of their home. And that's like when Joe kind of like tips his hand, like that's who he is. Like you mm-hmm. don't know he's a villain until then. But before we Correct. get to Joe, the I thought the best of the storylines, and again, it gets ridiculous, was that cult storyline with Miguel trying to rescue his sister after she's fallen prey to this cult. They've had a falling out. Um, and you come to find out, like, they were part of, like, the first purge, like the one that was in Stanton mm-hmm. Island. You find out, like, their parents were murdered by purgers. Um, and that sent, like, Penelope on, like, she really spiraled after that. She was really young. Miguel was looking out for her, but then he had to leave because, like, he beats the shit out of her junkie boyfriend uh, and blinds him in one eye and then, like, runs away, joins the military so that he won't get arrested. And then Penelope really spirals after that. Yeah. No, I I liked that. And I like I appreciate kind of the subtle tie ins to the other movies where it's not like critical that you see them mm-hmm. um, to understand what's happening in the show. Yeah. But also if you have, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that yeah. thing, you know, they call them like OMFs, right? The original murder family. So mm-hmm. they were one of the families that took one of those checks and I think like lived in that building that the family in the first purge did because then you see that their house is broken into by it sounds like soldiers that were going floor to floor, right, and just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. So their family was victim to one of that. And so that's kind of, yeah, an interesting tie-in. Yeah. And, yeah, understandable that she would completely, that would traumatize her. Yeah. Like, you're orphaned, just like that. And you see yeah. your mom killed in front of your eyes. So, yeah, understandable. Yeah. And that, that um, like, kind of um, flashback scene tells you everything you need to know. Like you said, you don't need to see the first purge. Those mm-hmm. characters aren't in it. Um, but you get everything you need to know just from like that like five minute scene that you see and it's really well done. I would have loved to have but what you find out about the cult is like they all like they're basically going around town in a bus and they're getting dropped off to random purgers. It's like very much it's literally a school bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're willingly going to their deaths and they like, come, you know, like, get your purge on. And then when reality sets in, they just start dying in horrific ways, like, screaming. Yeah. Um, like, one character, like, doesn't want to go. Penelope actually volunteers to go in her place. And they're like, nope, this is the order we're going in. No cutsies in line. And she <laughs> dies in, like, you don't see it, but it's, like, the most horrific sounds I think I've ever heard in a television show. Um so as what happens, like she ends up in a carnival uh, where she's going to be auctioned off for the right to purge her. And wouldn't you know it, her ex-boyfriend happens to be there and he earns the right to purge her. And it's something. Yeah, it is something. And I like, I love it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's It's nice to see that this series keeps its roots in mind (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like it's fully aware and and that's because like so many of the original creators are involved you know you've got demonico is you know deeply involved and blumhouse and michael bay yeah michael bay producing it which helps it a lot i think because the show looks like it has money behind it lots of set pieces feels like it's all over the place like it does have a pretty big feel and scope and scale about it it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. cheap um 
yeah, and so this carnival, and I, it just kind of, it's it's funny to me because it just shows, right? And I think we see this more in the second season too, that like with the purge, like it's oftentimes people you know and people in your life. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, strangers necessarily coming after and breaking to your house. Sure, sometimes, but more than often or not, it's going to be somebody you know yeah. <laughs> and close to you that's going to really want to destroy you, which is... Yep disturbing and also probably very true yeah <laughs> but also ridiculous like there's such a level <laughs> yeah. of like it it reminded me a lot of the scenes outside of like the gar- the gated community in land of the dead where you mm-hmm. have like a 24-hour carnival that's what these scenes felt like it felt like a carnival like they literally have circus tents up and they're like yep have um, the people they're going to bid on are just all locked into cages and people are bidding like it's an auction and the death is going on all around them. And, you know, Miguel being the Marine, you know, he partners up with Pete the cop who runs a bar where I guess purgers can come in and grab a drink and maybe get talked out of purging like things like I I think it's more it's kind of like the hotel and like John Wick you know where it's like a safe space where you just like Mm -hmm. check your weapons and like nobody's allowed to purge in there Mm -hmm. and then you can like have a break and then you can go back out on your killing ways I think it's kind of a place like that right. but of course there's a character named pete the cop right of yeah, course just... there is it's like this is the most <laughs> and it's the most pete the cop character you could come up with so yeah. eventually penelope is kidnapped by joe because of course um mm-hmm. so let's talk about joe sure what is joe's reason to be why what did you think joe's arc was going to be because you mentioned you, it was different from what yeah. you expected well i mean because when we first see him like He's listening to this, I don't know, motivational speaker-ish personality, radio television Mm -hmm. personality who's, you're not really sure if it's like a brainwashing kind of propaganda or if it actually is like self-help sort of stuff, but just sort of like talking about how, like, you know, be the person you want to be, like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you got to like stand up for yourself and purge is a way to you know be the person that you've always wanted to be and don't let the world get you down or whatever and so you kind of see him going out and about and like you think that he's saving people because he's sort of breaking in and killing bad purgers and saving people from these situations and they also think that he's saving them um and he's been he's gone through some shit worked a long time at a factory factory gets shut down um had to kind of start over has a rough go of it his dad is super sick from all the years of working in the factory um and it's not until later that we learn that like oh insurance not gonna cover it whoopsies (laughs) that sucks kind of everything that he believed in sort of gets pulled out from under him in one way or another and he feels like he's being punished for believing or kind of falling for the American dream, right? Yeah. So what we learn is that all these people are connected and they are all people that he feels have wronged him in some way or have not held up their end of the deal that he thinks that he deserves. <laughs> yeah. And what? Oh, one quick thing too. The voice on those tapes, by the way, is uh, Scream 6's own Dermot Mulroney. 
Oh, it is? <laughs> it is. Yep. That's funny. Um, so tying into our last episode to get those sweet yeah. Cream 6 downloads. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like at first, Joe's story is really touching because there is something about – and I – in my occupation, like I've talked to men in particular who feel like left behind by the American dream, who like no longer buy into it. This mm-hmm. idea that if I work really hard, I can provide for my family and have a better life. And that's evaporated for so many people. And they're like, I believed in this for so many years and it got me nothing. Yeah. Um, the problem is and when I saw his character's arc, I thought it was going to be he was like purging the purgers. He was yeah. kind of like Batman, right? Yeah. You see like him a... in like his welding suit and mm-hmm. like a good vigilante. <laughs> but what you find out is like he is kidnapping all these because like you said, they wronged him in some way. But not only does he feel like they've wronged him, there are various degrees of it. Like in the case of Rick and Jenna, um, they had contracted him to install all the security systems in their homes. And because like they were a startup company and cash poor, they couldn't pay him what they owed him. Rick found like a loophole in the contract that basically bankrupted Joe's business. Like mm. now Joe was like out of work for the second time. And what Rick did was perfectly legal, but scummy. You know what I mean? He basically fucked him over knowing he was fucking him over. You go from that extreme to like, well, Jane walked out of him on a date because Joe was being casually sexist and casually racist and not checking his privilege. Lots of microaggressions. I don't even know if they're microaggressions. They were like... They transcend micro. They're going (laughs) full on macroaggressions. And he thinks he's being nice. Yeah, he, he feels like he doesn't he's see wrong. it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, you got into college because like you're black, obviously, right? Like he literally mm. says something to that effect, and she's like, excuse me. And yeah. like, the fact that she handles it, I think she like the one dig she makes is like, yeah, you look a lot younger in your picture, you know? Yeah. Because like, um, you know, there's a definite age gap there. Um, but she handles it with a lot of dignity and just like pays the says she's going to the bathroom, pays the bill and walks out, basically. Yeah. Um, and you go like, OK, that's not really a reason to purge someone. And then you get to Penelope and she's being purged because she didn't hold the door open for him when she was leaving a coffee shop. Mm hmm. Yeah, that is the reason, like that level of pettiness. So it kind of like it annoyed me because like I thought Joe was such a good character up until yeah. that point. You're like, OK, this like I've seen this before. Like this is really petty. Um, I think what they were trying to show is just how like these things add up. Right. And yeah. once you become aware of something happening to you, whether or not it's you know, justified or validated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Once you just like get in a mindset mm-hmm. and you start interpreting things, how just like yeah. every little slight yeah. can start to yeah. feel big and add up. And I think that's, that's what we see in Joe. Yeah. Oh, I agree. What did you think of Jane's speech to Joe at the end before he kills her? Unfortunately, I loved it because yeah. here's the thing with Jane's character. I felt like for like a large portion of like the first part of the, the series, she felt very kind of like 
cold, I guess, or flat, sort of. Like, we didn't really get to see it. Like, it felt like she was always kind of playing a role. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Like, the character's playing a role. And it's it felt like there, in that moment, like, she came alive in some ways and was just like, you know what? Fuck this. Mm-hmm. Like, I am tired. Like, she's been told basically her entire life to like even with her mom right like just you know play the game play the game play the game and she's been fighting that and also trying to like come across as like a tough smart businesswoman and here in this moment she's just like not putting up with anything anymore and so I actually loved that and it sort of made it it's like okay maybe that wasn't just her acting (laughs) that way (laughs) you know it wasn't her acting coming across flat like that was actually like her character like her the person how she's just mm-hmm. always trying to like keep it together and be nice right yeah so and she just rem- calls joe out on all of his bullshit and all yeah. of his pettiness and all of his like yes you have some legitimate gripes but this ain't it like yes you're not entitled to I'm, you're not entitled to go out to with me you're not entitled to my body mm-hmm. just because you want it um yeah. And I really love that. And unfortunately, she pays a heavy price for it. And by the end of the series, like Jane is dead. Joe has been killed by Miguel after the sirens have gone off. Um, mm-hmm. And Rick is dead. Um, so the last shot of this or the last like coda of this first season will drop end season one here is like Jenna has traveled to Europe to raise her baby because there are no purges in Europe. Mm-hmm. However... On the, it's one year later, it's the next purge, and a French newscast is talking about how the European Union is going to have debates later that year as <laughs> to whether or not they should adopt the purge in Europe. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean... Uh, I mean, not surprising. Mm-hmm. Like, I really... I'm not sure if France would be the place. It seems like, you know, they just... I mean, well, I don't know. These days, France I, there's, is always there's a, up for a good riot. Oh uh, yes, a riot, but like I don't know about like the purge scene. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, the, they they gave us the guillotine. That's true. The French Revolution. I mean, okay, they would all be, right, yeah, they would adopt it first. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be the first place that would have it. I, I mean, I don't know. It feels like North Korea would probably have. It. Well, but in know. Europe, Europe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, not surprising, right? If they see no, something like America, you know, doing something mm-hmm. and be like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe we should be doing this, too. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we should uh, adopt this Which... policy and s- stop, you know, paying for yeah. all these social programs. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Do we want any last thoughts, like any last thoughts on this first season before we move on? Um, I guess the only other thing that I would say is that I liked the girl gang. Oh, yeah. That the showed up randomly. Saints. Well, and, and the girl gang that, like, uh, Joe the cop and Miguel run into. And oh. then uh, how they're, you know, and he's just like, I'm Joe. I'm Joe the cop. And they're like, oh, okay, you can go through. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, if you say so. And uh, the nuns that actually um, take away yeah. one of the, the cult girls. I thought their costumes were yeah. pretty cool. Great costuming, <laughs> great masks, like a really great look. And like you yeah. said, like you focus on these characters, but you see a lot of like 
the purging in like kind of like the rear view mirror or like off to the sides and like and there's some brutal yeah. yeah there's some like brutal things that you're just like seeing in the back like things that you haven't seen in other purge movies mm-hmm. and stuff and so you know in a weird way i appreciated yeah. that that they're just like well, let's see what other kind of fucked up things can yep. we think of <laughs> i'd say it's closest in tone to anarchy in mm-hmm. terms of like the way everything plays out the look and the feel of it I'd say like that's where this like this first season is closest in tone to. Yeah. Yeah. But good. I a lot of fun and mm-hmm. goes down real easy and I appreciate how the conver- some of the conversations yeah. that they were trying to have and how it explores some of the the nuances of what justice means yeah. to different people. Yeah. <laughs> um but doesn't feel quite as heavy-handed as some mm-hmm. of the films do. So. It's a really good binge show in that you can put it on and not everything that goes on in the episode is necessarily great. And it's like, mm-hmm. you can definitely like watch this one distractedly. But then like the last two minutes, like there's a great like teaser for the, you're like, oh, I got to watch the next one now. <laughs> yep. You know, it does that, does that really well. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about season two briefly. And I'll give yep. a quick, this is the season I actually liked a lot more. So season two, most of it takes place in between purge nights. You have the end of a first purge night, and then the, at the end of the show, the last two episodes are the next purge night. And this shows everything going on in between that year. And there's, again, this one, like the storylines don't all necessarily converge with one another, although they, t- some of them do. You have, um, so you have Esme, who works for the NFFA is a sort of controller like she's overseeing the basically you find out the NFFA has cameras everywhere and they're watching mm-hmm. everything going on on purge night and making sure that like the tenuous rules that are there aren't being violated and also that people aren't committing crimes after yeah um, you have Ryan who is an ex-cop because of course and he has his other ex-cop group and they are pulling like a once a year heist in order to make their nut for the year basically and he's mm-hmm. doing it so he can keep his mom in good nursing care you have like marcus and his wife who um they're at home in the suburbs and he gets attacked and you find out like he finds out he has a contract put out on it by him by somebody and then there's Ben, a college student that becomes a serial killer um, after, like, he, on purge night, he gets trapped by a purger. His friend runs away in fear, and he has to kill the purger in order to save himself. And that kind of sets off a whole mental breakdown for him. Um, I really love this season. I thought, like, it, I love exploring the world in between the purge years. And for me, I thought, like, the Esme story, where, like, she's labeled a traitor by the NFFA, and she ends up going on the run, because she gets information that shows the NFFA is, like, trying to kill persons off purge night, and Mm -hmm. also the studies are showing the purge doesn't reduce violence, it exacerbates it, which we talked about here. Um, I would have watched a whole movie on that. I would have watched a whole movie on Ryan doing heists um having a serial killer on the loose i thought was fascinating and they make it a point to say how few murders there actually are in between the purges and part of that is because like every crime is punishable by death 
like jaywalking, death. Um, you know, like stealing a candy bar, death. Like one of Ryan's crew gets tagged because like not even his whole foot, like the heel of his shoe is still technically in the bank when the sirens end and they arrest him and they're like, all right, plead guilty. They'll go easy on you. And they're like, just kidding. Like you're going to be <laughs> executed next purge night. What did you think of this season? What did you like, dislike about it? Like what happened? What did you think of this? I mean, I, I like it. I, I do again, love kind of the ongoing commentary about like how mm-hmm. the purge impacts people year round and how it becomes something that, you know, people are like planning for and it, you know, it's leaning into that sort of action horror or especially with like Esme, it's like a political thriller, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like leaning into that, which we see in some of the later purge movies. So it feels like a natural progression um, for the franchise, you know, for the movies and um, and the, the TV series. I wasn't as connected with these characters mm-hmm. for one reason or another, mm-hmm. but um, I do think that, I mean, just something that I admire about this entire franchise, films included, is just how it's able to address so many different angles and address so many different things that, like, you know, go through my head that we've talked about on this podcast every mm-hmm. single time that we've covered these movies. It's just like these interesting ideas of what this hypothetical situation would do to people. And like the, ser- like you know, the frat bro, like serial killer thing is super interesting because it's like it opened the door for him. Right. He didn't intend to kill that person, but then he did mm-hmm. and like kind of liked it. And he it really became like a. It. Yeah, like became like a driving force for him and sent him down a path that he never even intended to go down or even intended to explore. But then once he did, he couldn't close that door. And like that's fascinating. And so I love how it's touching on some things that we haven't seen addressed before. And I think Mm -hmm. that's super smart. Yeah. And when we watch these movies... Like they're hyper focused on murder. Like it's the purge. It's that, so it's in their horror movies. So you're hyper focused on that. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. Like some of the crimes you're looking at here. Like it's it's really fun to watch. Like a crew try to like pull off these bank heists. Like all right, yeah, once a year where we can rob this bank, and then like they have another crew that basically is there to like get the jump on them and pick up the scraps. Like so, you see that happen. Uh, the jackals, I think, is what they're called here. But like to me, it's like fascinating to watch them plan this kind of heist all year yeah. round, and then see that like come into effect. Like how they were able to outmaneuver everybody to earn like a hundred million dollars. Like it's a that once in a life. It's almost like Ocean's Eleven, totally. Um, which I think well, was like, really fun. And like when we were talking about like, oh, what would your purge crime be? You mm-hmm. know, like. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to steal a fancy car. And like, yes, like those are the crimes that they they haven't really talked about. And so it's like refreshing to be and see that because it's like, well, yeah, of course, there's going to be other things. Not everybody's going to necessarily, you know, want to mm-hmm. kill people. But that doesn't yeah. mean there's not other things that you'd be like, right. well, yeah, but I could rob this giant corporation. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did like that. It's definitely stock characters. Like, I can hear what you're saying. Like, Ryan, who's the head of the, um, who's, like, the head of the heist gang, 
you know, he like has a giant warehouse with cash rent and all his motorcycles and cars are in it. And he's an ex-cop that was done dirty by a corrupt chief and he couldn't work for her. So he turns in his badge. And now the only reason he's robbing banks is to um, keep his like sick mom with Alzheimer's in the proper nursing home so she gets care i could have done with all that and just been like i'm a badass heist guy that just likes yeah. money i just like to steal shit you don't have to give up the heart of gold and the yeah. characters played by a game got a, the characters played by a guy named max martini which that in and of itself <laughs> is like come on that's not true i mean I, there are stage names and there are stage names like come i on, hope man. that's his real Who? name and it, wait yeah what's his real name here it says maximilian carlo martini was born that's in his, new york Jesus. to an italian father and an american mother okay I, and he, yeah i bet that's his real name anyways he looks like I, he's chiseled from like a block of granite yeah and that's the thing like okay so looking at even this actor's credits i think what it is is like it does feel very stock in a lot of ways like Mm -hmm. you look at his credits and it's 13 hours captain phillips pacific rim the unit bosh legacy um you know he's doing a lot of these kind of characters in action ncis like doom patrol like he's and i think that's possibly why i don't connect mm-hmm. with it so much because it's like yeah. okay this is uh, yeah. a role literally and yeah. um but i do think that it's it was smart to introduce it into this mm-hmm. series yeah i did really enjoy like paula nunez who plays esme the mm-hmm. nffa comptroller like i really liked her performance a lot i liked her backstory where like she tries to rescue her sister from like the sexual abuse of her father and like locking her dad out of the house in that um in that why can i not remember the term that flashback uh was like really chilling because you hear it play out um she gave me real like trinity and the matrix vibes and carrie oh totally like I thought she was like a really fun, again, stock character, but like a really fun one to watch. I thought like Nunez was like very easy to watch as a performer, like just naturally gifted mm-hmm. as well. But I love this idea that the NFFA is so invested in the purge that any, it, you're right, it becomes like a 70s like spy thriller and that she has this information that says like her mentor through a study uncovers that like no the purge is not doing what it's supposed to do it's actually making people worse so yeah. she's killed for it as are all of like the test subjects mm-hmm. uh, that they hunt down and she wants to find a way to broadcast this out and she's discovered and has to go on the run like i really dug that story oh yeah i am such a sucker for like 70s you know mm-hmm. political thrillers like you know three days of the condor and marathon mm-hmm. man and like all of those things the conversation like i love those so i think that's super interesting like at first she's you know so heavily i mean she works for them mm-hmm. she's like a, a manager you know or yeah. like a higher level position kind of overseeing yep. these things and then of course, discover something that she doesn't like. Like, yeah. you know, of course, she's watching all this footage. She works every purge, is watching all this footage of all these horrific murders, yeah. you know, and trying not to let it affect her until it does, until it's somebody mm-hmm. she knows. And that's and, the thing that it always is, right? It's mm-hmm. with someone you know. Yeah. It's easy to tune it out, I guess, that, you know. 
Unfortunately, we see yep. that all the time, right? It's easy to right. tune it out until it waltzes into your life, and that's mm-hmm. and that's what happens here. And then it's just yeah. you pull that thread, and uh, there's no going back after that. Yep. So, <laughs> and of course, her and Ryan cross paths, and it eventually, like, you know, she kind of has the drop on him and knows his deal. She ends up having to like have her have him take her in to help her, and of course, they fall in love. Like you just get like that, like. He wants to kick her out because she made the call to send his partner to prison. Uh, and then the next scene is like they're in bed together, you know, so of course. Yeah, I think maybe that's part of it for me, too, because like the first season, it's all one night, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, ridiculous and like incredibly dramatic, but it's all one night. And mm-hmm. here we, we see it, it kind of cover more time. Yeah. And... um so I think in some ways that didn't necessarily work as well for me sure. because yeah, you, you see these relationships and it's like, I don't, I don't want to see, I just want the horn to go off and then it's a new day. Mm-hmm. And then like, eh, like what happens I after that? But <laughs> I found myself like drawn in by all the, all the behind the scenes drama and like what they were setting up for the next night where I'm, like, yeah. I was invested in the, that middle part of the series from like the, second episode to the end of like the eighth episode uh, yeah i was like how they're setting all the pieces in place i really really enjoyed so that kind of did it for me um you get like a nice oh did you catch the i guess when we talk about ben's story we'll do this because let's talk about marcus for a minute um because it's kind of a riff on what they do with the sandins in the first purge movie except that instead of like that being a crime of opportunity like oh the gates are down marcus comes to find out that like all of his neighbors have put <laughs> like pitched in like mm-hmm. he thinks it's one guy so he you know takes him in threatens to kill him the guy's had an affair with his wife and you know the guy's like all right i'll delete he's like delete the contract and i'll let you go he's like i'll do it it's like wait a minute like you only took 10k off he's like yeah, that was my share, dude. Like, basically all of the neighbors have pitched in because they don't like Marcus. And you get that comically, like, the funniest thing in any of these movies or show, he goes outside and all the neighbors are outside at once, driving by, walking their dog, walking in, and they're all giving Marcus, like, the death stare. Oh, yeah. It made me cackle with joy. Oh, it's so well. It's that like political thriller kind of thing, right? And or like, I don't know if you've ever seen like Arlington Road, like that movie where suddenly you realize like, Mm -hmm. like everybody's in on it except you. (laughs) You're Mm -hmm. like, and I I think that that's it's just it's interesting because it's like, can you imagine the paranoia? Like, yeah, there's this one night a year, but like the paranoia that you would walk around with the other three. And 64 right. days of the year and well, it's like just yeah all these people planning and plotting against mm-hmm. him and oh he's god like, he's like what did i do to you guys you know these <laughs> yeah. all like why do you hate me so much and you find out like what he's a he's an er doctor and you find out the person who put it in place like his wife died because of a mistake marcus made and it was like a honest mistake but what really set the person off was like Marcus didn't remember him when he ended up moving in to the neighborhood and that's what set him off but mm-hmm. when they go to the barbecue 
and like, they just kind of walk in uninvited and all the neighbors are there and they look at Marcus and his wife and they're like and someone's just like oh boy like that yeah. is just super funny to me yeah um, and just that mob mentality too yeah. is really interesting I think yeah that's a good point point. and then you see like the night of the purge how unsure they actually are and Marcus is able to kind of negotiate his way out of it to an extent the guy betrays him and tries to kill Marcus's wife and I like that now that's Rochelle Aitz I'm probably mispronouncing that but mm. I'm like where do I know her from and she is one of the werewolves in Trick or Treat like she oh. is yeah <laughs> she's stunningly beautiful and should be yes. in way more things um, but Marcus the ER doctor um, I just liked him trying to find out like who is trying to kill him and then it's like it's everybody dude like everybody <laughs> yeah. hates Marcus um <laughs> So and I, 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 the one thing that struck me is like, okay, there's a contract out on me, but here's the deal. I'm rich, bitch. All right. So like, if I just want to like grab my wife, fly to Canada for the night, go to mm-hmm. Europe, go somewhere else, like I can do that. Like, honey, we're going to Cancun this week. All right. We're not going to yeah. be around. Like he could pull that off. Right. Yeah, totally. Just leave. Like, just <laughs> like leave. Go, right? yeah. Then so, come back and then, you know, whatever. Your neighbors hate you. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> just yeah. leave every purge week. <laughs> so the last story is Ben and the serial killer. He becomes like a, a serial killer. Um, it's pretty standard serial killer story. Like there's nothing groundbreaking here, but there are some like really – you see his thought process, like who he decides to kill, like – there's the girl who is anti-purge on campus, and she says something to him. So when he needs to get like his yayas out, that's who he targets. Um, I thought the scene with his girlfriend, I think it's Vivian. I could have the name wrong. Um, but when she discovers like that he is a serial killer, and yeah. she can't hide the fact that she knows like she tries to play oh you're so brave for telling me and she's like shitting bricks like anybody would he Mm -hmm. has to kill her like her death is horrific like her death is really fucked up getting like she gets final destination like hit (laughs) by a car out of nowhere and it's yeah and then choked out yeah I did like kind of that youth element Mm -hmm. that his storyline and character added you know, we don't really see a lot of that. I feel like, you know, it's mostly a lot of adults. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first one, you know, we kind of did a little bit with, like, the the rich, you know, young Hitler folks that were terrorizing Ethan Hawke's family. Yeah. But we haven't really seen a ton of, like, youth like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool to see that. I, you know, the, the frat bro-, bro massacre that happens is... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kind of fun and like mm-hmm. those elements and yeah his storyline was interesting I not that I enjoy <laughs> or think he's a good person no, he's um not. yeah but I do think that yeah I had fun with that part of it I guess yeah he befriends like another like very pro purger um, and they even try to like go on a double date, like he and his girlfriend and the pro purge or this other young woman who's not having any of it. Who's like, oh, my fucking God, I cannot deal yeah. with this dude. And did you catch the little like throwback? They have a little call out to Marissa Tomei's doctor. Um, was it Dr. Updale? 
like they talk about her briefly on that date like oh yeah oh, like she wrote, they're like yeah wasn't she like purged herself oh no that was a you know that was a rumor like she died by whatever instead um so they have a little callback to that in um the first purge just really not like you don't need to see that movie right. but it's a clever little callback he ends up getting pilled killed by ben because like when ben is like by the way just so you know I've been killing people not on purge night, thinking this dude would be all for it. And the right. guy's like, uh, that's not cool, but I'm fine with it, but I gotta go. Again, like <laughs> nobody can like play poker with these people because they have no poker face. <laughs> yeah. Um so Ben like horrifically murders him. Um again, his story dovetails with Marcus, or like Marcus ends up in a triage unit helping people. He helps, he sees Ben, who's been like hit by, did they hit Ben with his car? They hit Ben with his car. There's a lot of getting hit with a car in this. They take yeah. him to the triage unit, not realizing they brought a serial killer in, who then gets up and just starts murdering all these people and stacking up bodies. Like it's a pretty cool way for those two stories to converge. And it is interesting, like, knowing where this franchise kind of goes, you know, whether or not they had that planned out or whether or not Mm -hmm. that was, like, an influence on the Forever Purge, it does actually work as, like, a good stepping stone to that, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Because whereas if you're not, you know, if you don't see the series, not that it's important to enjoy the Forever Purge, but I do think this kind of bridges that gap. Yeah. Where, like, people are no longer necessarily respecting the rules or are kind of pushing back on that, mm-hmm. um, which we see go, you know, to the extreme with the Forever Purge and the whole Ever right. After thing and just not giving a shit about, mm-hmm. you know, the sirens. And so this is kind of exploring that, like how, sure, the rules are there, but for how long? Right. Or, like, you Because why maybe- would you stop? Like, what makes it... What is it about this arbitrary 24 hours that mm-hmm. makes it okay to do right now? Or 12 hours that yeah. makes it okay right now? But, like, one second after the siren goes off, like, oh, sorry, like, you know, no longer acceptable. It's so arbitrary that if you're in that mindset, of course you're going to want to continue it. Well, it's like anything, right? Like, you build up a tolerance. And so, like, okay, after a few years of doing it once, you know, every so often... Yeah, maybe you get that mm-hmm. urge a little more often or yeah. like, you know, it becomes easier. So, yeah, you have to do more of it or you have to you get tempted to do it. Yeah. Even like in the first season when we see Miguel, like the siren goes off, but he still kills Joe. Right. Because it's just like, well, I can get away with this. It's close enough. Nobody's going to see me. Whatever. Yeah. Done. But also he knows that Joe's like, I'll see you next year. He's like, no, you won't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's self-preservation more than. Um, which is a smart move. Um, well, and, and just speaking about that specifically, you know, Joe is somebody who's always thought, you know, the rules and the system is going to work to him. So mm-hmm. there he is like, all right, the siren's off. I'll see you next year. And Miguel's like, fuck yeah. you. Yes. Like, just be like this system. Like, I am not going to obey these rules yep. and it's going to benefit me. And Joe just refuses to see that. Yeah. And so I thought that was That's... really a good. That's such a great point because Joe's whole demeanor just like changes. Like, mm-hmm. Joe is just like, all right, dude, like, good game. It's almost like at the end of, like, a competitive game. Like, all right, see you, see you around, buddy. Um, yeah. 
And he's, like, shocked that Miguel would want to, like, break the rules. He's like, yeah. this isn't fair. Like, what are you doing? Like, the sirens are up. That's a really good point. He's just like, life's not fair. See it from somebody else's perspective. Like, I don't want to see you next year. We're done. <laughs> so you mentioned how this, and I guess the last thing I'll have for here, you mentioned how this, like, basically adds a little bit more detail or, uh, or and shades in a bit more of the Forever Purge. I also think this, like dovetails really nicely into election year Mm because the end of this like esme is able to infiltrate the nffa which for a group that is like supposed to be surveilling everything she's Mm -hmm. able to slip by like everybody in that office without even a disguise (laughs) she's like turns her head around and there's a half a million dollar bounty on her at that point um but she is able with the help of like ryan who gets the $100 million, but then goes back for the girl knowing he ain't going to come back from it. Mm -hmm. Um, She's able to send out the information. Max wards off the people long enough to die looking at her as she uploads the footage and and broadcasts to everybody right as the sirens are going off. And then she's murdered. Like, after the sirens are done, they were like, well, execution order still stands. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that, like, the, the rules about killing people, even for the government, exist in those 364 days. Because the other prisoners that are going to be killed, they're not killed until the next purge night. And yeah. the trial takes all of five minutes, and they're sentenced to death like that. But she's executed after the purge ends and becomes a martyr. And then the last scene is like the resistance forming. Marcus's son... Um, Esme's sister, Esme's colleague, all these mm-hmm. anti-purgers, the frat bro, the nice frat bro, um, yeah. come together and they're like talking about the resistance to the NFFA. And it dovetails really nicely into election year. No, I think so too. And I think that that's, these are, I, I just appreciate it when a film in a franchise is willing to grow past mm-hmm. sort of either it's initial goals or initial conceptions and actually puts thought into how this would actually exist and impact the real world. Like, yes, yes, of course. Like this is a fantasy, but there's so much of this franchise that you're like, Oh God, I could actually kind of believe that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's nice that there's a little bit of hope in there. So as to not just be a complete bummer. (laughs) Yep. I agree. Um, last thing is, what did you think of the cold opens that show these, like, kind of, like, two-minute little, like, they show, like, marketing the masks. I thought there was a really fun scene where they're like, oh, we should do an LGBTQ supportive mask. You know, we'll send, like, 10% of the proceeds to, like, the Trevor Project or something. And they're talking about how they can, you know, monetize the purge for corporate interests. Like, I found, like, those cold opens, like, really fun. Yeah, I loved the one with, like, the voiceover, the beginning of the second season, where it's, like, the woman who goes to, she's, you know, an actor, and she gets the... You know, she's she's doing like the 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 voiceover that sh- when the purge starts, when the sirens go off, she's the she's sending off the warning, basically. Yeah, so she's you know reading that, and you know she's like, oh, what is this for? Like a movie? <laughs> like, Her voice is so different. You're right, so mousy. Yeah, like, compared to even murder, like that that can't be right. Yeah, you gotta just it, go with it. 
Yeah, she's like, you know, accept murder. And they're like, oh, no, no, the line is including, including murder. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's weird. Okay, is this mm-hmm. a movie? Uh, I thought yeah. that was so funny. And I'm assuming that's the real woman because it that's is. her voice. Yep, <laughs> so it is. Like, um, you know, it, it's those little things I thought was like super fun. <laughs> you get uh, Ethan Hawke comes back for like a very brief cameo where he's like selling the security system he's like it's the security system i use to protect my own family you're perfectly safe like (laughs) wink wink nudge nudge i love the one at the two that i really love like the um children's show where Mm. um like they're like the woman is like telling these like very small like kindergarten age children the benefits of the purge and then one little yeah. girl was like but what if something happened to my mom and dad like and all the air goes out um <laughs> and then like the um teen girls like getting ready to go out on purge night was mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know if it was them on the float but there's like purge night tours like there's these guided tours that people can take so you could just see like how this has become a holiday like the 4th of July where everything is like commercialized and monetized, even all this death. Like it's, that is one of the probably more chilling than the actual mm-hmm. death. It's just like becomes so commonplace. Yeah. I mean, and that's what is like terrifying to me is just like, I'm, 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 like about every movie, I think like there's different things that I find really chilling about every installation in this franchise. And it's just how you could be like, yeah, I feel like I could mm-hmm. see that on the news and, like, believe that happening. And, like, I can I, see that. And that's one it, of those things. It does. Yeah. All right. So I think we've hit it. I think we've covered both series here. We did it at a pretty economical hour in 22 for us, which is, like, yeah. holy <laughs> shit. Um, so what we're going to do next is, like, we're going to have a, a quick pause and then I, I, adding on to this, like we have a few of us coming back and we are going to talk about our series rankings for The Purge. It's not something we usually do, but I would like to start doing that with some of these like multi-entries, like just for funsies. So I've yeah. gotten everybody's rankings and we're going to talk about where they fall in. But before we do that, because Rachel, I'm not sure you're joining us. Who knows? Um, where can folks find you and what do we have coming up? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, the blue check mark is still there for now. We'll see if it's there tomorrow. Um, at Vinyl Girl G R R R L, and on uh, Instagram at the Vinyl Girl. And anything I'm doing, writing, contributing to, I will always share on there. So yeah, Excellent. and then um, also on Losers Club podcast. Yep. What's so. coming up for the Losers Club? So I know that coming up, we'll be doing um, one of our Hollywood King episodes, which is always Mm -hmm. fun, just keeping track of all the various King projects going on. And then this is uh, the month of Bachman. So there will be a lot of episodes um, about ranking the Bachman books and talking about Blaze. So if you're a Bachman bro, tune in. Lots of fun stuff there. Excellent. Do you have a place where you collect your writings like reviewing music by any chance because that's one of your like final girl do you have a place where like if if someone wanted to look for new fresh hot jams 
<laughs> we could find all of your writing. Because I say that because we were talking off air, and I sought out one review. I'm like, you know, I remember she wrote this review about, like, a synth album. Like, it's a fake soundtrack, and it sounded intriguing. And I want to order something new for my new turntable. And I mm-hmm. sought it out, and I listened to it. I'm like, this album rules. <laughs> so I'm gonna, you're going to basically be my go-to when it comes to, like, seeking out like good horror soundtracks that i should because it's finals expensive i don't want to buy the wrong thing oh my gosh i I love that um i don't have that's a good idea though i probably should um update my website (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's not very updated but i also i've got a lot of writing um on dread central i do a monthly tear on the turntable Mm -hmm. column which is always about a horror soundtrack also i would recommend um people check out the website valingo V-E-H-L-I-N-G-G-O, which is all just um, music, a lot of regular music, and then also film scores from a a bunch of different writers. But there's a lot of great music content there. Excellent. Thank you. So I'm going to be leaning on you like, should I get this? Like, I think my next purchase is going to be the uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula score. I need to order that on vinyl. Yes. This yes. week. Um, so listeners, before we go, just want to say thank you so much. I'll do my outros after. Um, yeah, the Scream 6 episode was like the fastest downloaded app. Like we hit numbers I did not expect to hit on the show. And April was, I mean, sorry, March, which is typically like one of our slower months in the four year or the three years now that we've had a March. Um was our largest month it's beat our octobers and it beat it by a fairly substantial amount and it did it with like one fewer episode no two fewer episodes than we posted uh in october 2022 which is our largest month before that so we see you new <laughs> listeners like we see you like hearing the new scream episode and the purge episodes but also like there'll be a day where like there's a bunch of like 50 new downloads on like one of the Texas Chainsaw sequels or people combing through like we see people working backwards through the archives. And I thank you so much for finding the show and we hope you're enjoying it. Um, I might pose at some point with the new crew we have. Do we ever like revisit an old franchise or is that just treading water? Um I would be interested to do that at some point, Um, possibly if listeners would be interested in doing that. But I want to thank everyone so much for, A, spreading the word. We've heard, like, just such super kind things about the show, but also, like, new listeners, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, Next time we talk, we'll talk about the Patreon and relaunching it because I've got some folks that have some great ideas Uh, to give uh, some content and I want to pay them for doing it but I'm going to shut up now for a few (laughs) seconds and we're going to talk about our purge rankings so thank you so much Hey everybody, welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum. We took a little break there after Rachel and I talked about our first ever covering at time our first ever time covering a television show. So we kind of hope you really enjoyed our talk on the Purge TV series. But we are here. I am joined now by two lovely folks uh, to talk about our overall thoughts on the Purge franchise and 
you know, we're a listicle society, so we got to do our rankings. We got to let you all know where this series, where these things rank. Otherwise, what is the point of even doing the show, right? So up first from the Bodies of Horror podcast, you know her, you love her. You just heard me on her episode show talking about Pearl. Yeah. Nicole Goble, how are we? We are doing great, and I am excited to talk about the franchise as a whole and our thoughts and feelings. Because this is no spoiler. You've mentioned this before. Like, this is one of your favorite franchises, period. It is. It's absolutely one of my top three and my top of, like, the last uh, 20 years. Yeah. I really enjoyed watching these in quick succession so i still might say final destination is the best franchise of the past 20 but you can make an argument for this one and we'll argue we'll definitely argue Mm -hmm. but we're joined by a referee we're joined by someone who has that minnesota nice and won't let us argue she's like hey come on can we all get along here like come (laughs) on guys you have me pegged yes i do (laughs) Ari Hellraiser how, from Ghouls Magazine, which is running a sale right now, folks. And we will mention that before this episode lets out. But Ari Hellraiser, how are we? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to talk about this franchise as a whole as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have to say that you're both wrong and that Saw is the best franchise. So we can all fight. Get out. <laughs> I, I will not. I refuse. <laughs> Excellent. No, but The Purge is also well, great, and I'm super stoked to talk about it. You are going to have more than enough opportunity this <laughs> late summer and fall I can't wait. to argue the benefits and plead your case for the Saw franchise. So, As I love to tell you, Mike, you're not ready. I am definitely <laughs> not ready. I am definitely not ready. Um, I don't know. What do I need to get ready? Uh... <laughs> you need to get ready for how much the franchise actually has to say and the scathing criticisms of the American medical system that it delivers perfectly. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. someone who works adjacent to health care, I don't want, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that offensive to say? Okay. No. Uh, I think hand you'll care about that. Tandem? Sure. So. Okay. And that Saw 6 is the one that has like a lot of... That one is the specific yeah. takedown of the insurance company, yes. But throughout mm-hmm. the whole series, there's sure. representations of addiction, mental illness, okay, all different types of things that you're going to be like, oh man, I didn't know Saw had so much to say about this. I'm so excited to hear thoughts on Saw because I think that John Kramer is an amazing uh, patient advocacy uh, leader in healthcare and fighting for fighting for kind of your right to the care that you decide yep um and taking down doctors of um let's just say questionable repute so okay yes and i know we're doing the purge right now but i just had to do i mean listen if i'm on the show i'm mentioning saw it's just like your listeners just take a drink because it's going to happen. Do you think The Purge would exist if the Saw franchise didn't exist? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun question. Well, though. okay then. But yes, I do. It really is. Mm-hmm. That's much better than the questions mm-hmm. I usually get to ask mm-hmm. at work, which is like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 
Why are you like this? You could ask me that too if you want. That'd be a different podcast. That'd be your other show. I would never. (laughs) I would never. I would not dare to do that. Um, All right. So I want to start tonight before we get into our specific rankings. Let's talk super briefly about our overall thoughts on the purge as a series. It's like a, and there will be more of them. It looks like. There's going to be a sixth movie. It hasn't officially been announced, but they keep teasing it. And I would be stunned if there's not more. What are your overall feelings of this series as a whole? And Ari, why don't you kick things off? Yeah. Um, Overall, so I know we're going to get more into specifics, but I feel like it's a franchise that doesn't have a bad movie. Like, I feel like all of the entries are good. You just might like some more than others. Some of them have Mm -hmm. different vibes from one another. So um, it's not like a franchise like a Friday the 13th where they're kind of executing the same formula over and over again, like until they get to space or whatever. But each movie is doing a different thing, exploring a different part of the purge. And so I I don't want to say there's something for everyone because that's probably not true, but I do think there's something for a lot of people to discover throughout the Purge franchise. Um, I think it's mostly a lot of fun. Some of it bums me out, but I think mostly it's a lot of fun to watch. And like, if you want action, if you want home invasion, if you want thriller suspense, like it can give you all of that. So very positive feelings towards the Purge. What bums you out? Like, what was something that you said, something that bums you out? Yeah, so, uh, actually, when I talk about the fifth movie, I'm going to try not to talk too much about that. But uh, the fifth movie just bums me out. Like, that's the one I probably will watch the least, The Forever Purge. And maybe it's just, like, I don't know. Maybe I just need some distance from the last few years, and then I'll like it more. Or maybe I'm just more sensitive now after the last few years. But... The Forever Purge, I'm just kind of like, oh, where's Frank Grillo and his shenanigans? This is just a bummer mm-hmm. story. But it's still, I mean, it's a great movie. Okay. Yeah. It hits close to it. It feels like the one, even more than the first Purge, maybe, that is like a direct commentary on this state, like it, it present times. Yeah. And it's especially so rough, like... The yeah. first Purge, I feel like, gives you some breathing room. And the Forever Purge, I feel like it's just rough throughout. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was just angry and sad at different characters throughout the whole time. Got yeah. It. What about yourself, Nicole? Your overall thoughts and impressions? I really love this franchise a lot. Um, I... Like you said, I don't think that there's really a bad entry in kind of in the film so far. And the TV series, I think, is also very solid. Um, You know, if we're also kind of counting that in some regard. I think, um, you know, the the only thing that often, um, you know, is kind of the the dividing point between if I really, really love um one of the films or if a film is kind of like i still really like it and had a blast watching it but it's not as high in kind of my ranking it's just you know maybe i feel like it could have pushed something even further or Mm -hmm. there's like areas left to be explored that it touches on but 
kind of left, you know, bare. So I I really like it. Um, I've seen all of them in theaters, and I think being in an audience and seeing them with folks reacting to certain moments um, is really interesting. And I like that these films, you know, I think bringing up Saw at the beginning isn't, um, you know, far off because just like with the Saw franchise, each film kind of wants to explore a different pocket of kind of its world and the themes. And I feel like the Purge does that really excellently. And mm-hmm. I like the way that it slowly unpacks each bit. Um, so yeah, I I really love it. And I rank it really high in terms of, you know, just overall franchises in horror. And one of my favorites of uh, the kind of the 2000s so far. Yeah. It kind of like my overall thoughts, like in Ari, you had said, like there's not a bad movie in this bunch and i 100 percent agree with it um none of these movies are i would say are less than three stars for me all of them pass the if i'm flipping channels on a rainy saturday afternoon and one of them comes on i'm probably going to stick around and watch it like the clicker is going to get put down the only thing i'll say is there's not like an unassailable classic Hmm. in this series like there is with say Halloween or Texas Chainsaw or even like to me like Paranormal Activity Um, in that like none of them stand out as like this is a masterpiece Um, there are some like the my number one film I think comes the closest to it and it's really rewatchable but even then it's not something I would say like oh yeah this is like a genre defying defining film but that's just me others might feel differently interesting Maybe we need more time to pass before we find out Maybe. It, what that mm-hmm. is. I mean, the first okay. film's only 10 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I think with like when Halloween came out, like that hit like a ton of bricks mm-hmm. and people, like a house on fire and people are like classic. Blair Witch Project, I think you knew like the first time you saw that, you knew that you were you were watching something special texas chainsaw exorcist yeah. not that any of these movies have to this have to live up to those standards but um usually what happens is like the first entry in a series is like the best and then there there's like a steady decline here you know on down it might be a fan favorite later down the road but it's not as good as the first i think with this one the films prog- got progressively better um as they went on like they added much to your point nicole they added more commentary the action expanded um i think that culminated in the first purge and then the last one we'll get to in our rankings like it took a bit of a step back um the other thing that's interesting about this compared to the other two like big Bloomhouse franchises like insidious and paranormal activity those are centered around like one family or one story, mm-hmm. which can get tiresome after four movies or six movies. It can be hard to really continue those stories where this is a world where there are an infinite amount of stories that you can tell mm-hmm. with it. So that's I a, found that fascinating too. That's a good point. One question, I guess, before we 
get into rankings and talking about the films is that a lot of the films that you mentioned, Mike, are older films. The Exorcist, mm-hmm. Halloween. And I, I don't want to say that Blair Witch is older because that makes me <laughs> it's feel... It's 99, yeah. But it's older. It's... But, I mean, what would you say has come out in the last decade um, that you would say this is an un saleable classic people clamored get out but is it a franchise it doesn't have to be a franchise just a classic i get okay so in terms of like franchises i it's not my favorite franchise um but i don't think you can deny the impact like the conjuring has had yeah right and i also think that's an extremely well-made movie the second one i think is better like my personal favorite um the third one you can go back and listen to our episode of my thoughts on love will conquer all and all that (laughs) fine horse shit um but i think the conjuring is a movie that not only is like extremely well made and scary and fun but like you could say like maybe like gave horror as a genre in terms of like the mainstream a real kick in the pants and said, oh, we should be doing more movies like this because, like, they make money and people like them and everybody is happy when that happens. Got it. No, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So I would say that. I, that That's what I would go to. And, you know, I mean, like, the first Saw movie. I mean, it's not my favorite franchise, but, again, you can't deny how, how much of, like... Ari gets to write a book <laughs> on a whole subgenre of movies yes. because I, of Saw. But I think it does a lot. I think the first films in each franchise do a very similar thing. Mm-hmm. A very contained, small story that then sees the world explode mm-hmm. yes. with right. each subsequent film. Like, mm-hmm. I love the first saw because it is so contained and then to be able to like dig your claws into this world and the different people functioning in it with each film Mm -hmm. i think is just a treat yeah you hit on something there when you just said contained Mm -hmm. because all the movies we're talking about kind of live in a world pre-ip Meaning, and there always has been IP, obviously. There was like, even when The Conjuring came out, it came out in a post-Avengers world, right? Mm-hmm. And there was like the Harry Potter series and the Lord of the Rings series. But although IP had always existed, it didn't it, it didn't seem to be up until maybe seven or eight years ago that every movie that came out came out with an eye towards how can this exist as an IP? Not what kind of story can we tell, but like, what are we going to do three or four movies down the road? So with like all of these movies, The Conjuring, with Saw, Final Destination, you can look at it and say, oh, here is a very finite, easy story to tell. All of our efforts are going to go into telling this story. And then it hit in such a way that more stories were created from it. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have to be. Like mm-hmm. if that was the if there was never a Saw 2, Saw would still exist as a 
classic horror movie. If there was never a second Conjuring movie or an Annabelle or a Nun movie, The Conjuring would still be considered a very scary, fun movie. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, okay, if we're going to do this movie, what is going to be, what's the universe we can make? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Mm -hmm. I will say we don't have The mm -hmm. Conjuring without Saw. Yeah, it's true. You don't have a James Wan career without, and I will save my James Wano and I'm sorry, my James Wan and Lee Wano story from a Fangoria convention till we do the Saw series. It's a really fun. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Story and it's like Mike is an idiot. Like, um, <laughs> so it was really like they were there to promote Saw too. Um, so we'll save that for then. But you're right. You don't have a you don't have an Invisible Man without Saw. You don't have Upgrade. Right? Hmm. You don't have Upgrade is so good. Oh. Have you done Upgrade for Bodies of Horror yet? Okay, I got to find that episode. So God, I, I think that's what we got to do for psychoanalysis at some point. If that is still if we're still functioning by then, I think that's what we got to cover. That's an awesome, awesome movie. So, all right. Let's. I don't want to keep both of you all night. If you're like, hey, we'll do it in 30 minutes tonight. And I'm like Ric Flair in the 80s, like 60 minutes every night, going from town to town, styling and profiling. Oh, God. Um, okay. So how we're going to do this, each of us gave our overall rankings, and I have, in, in the laboratory, got everyone's rankings in secret, scored them with a um, very scientific formula of points per movie, have everything where they're ranked, and uh, we, and you know, there was a, a clear number one, a clear last place, and then in the middle, they're all very close within like a one or two points of each other. So it's, and I think that speaks to this series. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're all like very good movies. They're all enjoyable. So, um, Ari. Yes. Since this is your least favorite one, I think it might make sense for you to kind of kick the discussion off with the number five ranked movie in the series. With 10 points, what came in at fifth place? The Forever Purge came in at fifth place on my personal ranking and in our scientific ranking. Mm -hmm. This one got... You know what's funny? It got... um, only one last place wrote. That must be me. It got <laughs> three. It must be you because you said you did it. Unless I did the rankings wrong, at which point this whole thing is a sham. It's a fake no. election. Stolen it's, election. It's very scientific. It's too complicated to explain. You just have to trust Ever us. Pers- yes. <laughs> but it got no first place votes. Okay. So yeah. what is it about the Forever Purge that makes it the loser <laughs> of the series? Sorry, Forever Purge. Well, and, you know, I don't... Before I answer that, I do want to say it's still an excellent movie. It's a really well-made movie. There's a lot of good action. There's a lot of good characters. Uh, There's a lot to like about it. And, um, like I mentioned earlier, maybe I just will feel differently about it in a few years, but it feels like a bummer to me to watch... Because it's like you're following these this family of ranchers and some of the people who work for them, and there's a racial dynamic there, and 
like one of the guys on the farm is outright racist and i think they do a good job with that because it's like a little bit toned down he's like to me it seemed very realistic like the way people Mm -hmm. a lot of people might experience that and he's confronted later with like you know, non-white people save the white people, so the white person has to come around. And it kind of reminds me what we were talking about when the three of us talked about election year, about Mm -hmm. how, like, um, asking the person with less power to be more forgiving of the person with more power. And I really thought they were going to reckon with the fact that his baby's born in Mexico, and they don't at all like earlier in the film he says i don't even know if i want my kids speaking spanish so when it's very clear that his baby's going to be born in mexico i was like oh we're definitely going to get a line of acknowledgement about that and we don't and i guess that's fine like the movie doesn't have to spoon feed that to us but i was like this if this whole thing was about him coming to terms with not being racist anymore then like why aren't we dealing with this but Anyway, um, it's just, to me, it's like just outright violence, outright rioting, racism. It's the purge turned up to 11, and to me, it just felt like really far away from what I want from a purge movie, which is, I I think what makes a purge movie special is is that contained element. Like, we're just counting down. Mm -hmm. We just need to survive the night. But then there's, like, no end. And I'm like, well, then this is any other, like, war movie. So those are my yeah. thoughts. I, I agree with with all of that. I would say that one of the um, one of the issues that I have with it, it's, it's very, I, I enjoy it. I think there is some interesting commentary to it. Um, and it looks really interesting. I think where I struggle with it a bit more than some of the others is that it feels very disconnected from the purge world that we've been in um, <laughs> for the duration. It's really hard to see how the seeds that have been planted have sprouted in this particular way because we're not given any kind of connective tissue. Um, the NFFA is still there in existence, but they're kind of in a limbo of power. Um, they've lost control, basically, of their folks. And we get the taste of it at the end of election year, right? With the, there's this rioting and the crowds are turning violent. And to me, the biggest issue I have is that I think part of what makes a purge world interesting is how they stack together and how they really come together to make not only, you know, each film focusing in on an individual kind of theme or topic that's important to the moment of release, but also how it just kind of continues to build the world. We don't get any, you know, it's like, well, Mexico and Canada are opening their borders for a certain amount of time. Well, what, so, I mean, the purgers can go in there and follow and start wreaking havoc there. So, 
you know, how is that being reconciled? Is that going to be part of the second or the sixth film? And what does, I don't know. There's, there's no. more loose ends here than I feel yep. the other entries. Yeah. It's allow. the messiest. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's the messiest of the movies yeah. because there's really no conclusion to it. You're just seeing the, um, and I said this during the episode, like if, what would I fight back with? Like, if someone's coming at me with an AR-15, am I going to throw, like, my love lives here sign at them, right? It would be a pretty, they would make quick work of me. Although, when you think about it, your typical, like, far-right chud, they are afraid of talking candy mascots and rainbows and beer cans. So maybe I don't have a lot to worry about. Just throw M&Ms at them. Oh my god, they would just run away screaming at that point. Um I think one of the things about this movie is like the violence in it is the most targeted at a group. Yeah. When you watch the other purge movies, it's usually either A very random and that like anybody that is out and about is going to be a target or B you are taking out your petty grievances on uh, like a specific person like you have a specific list of individuals where in the forever purge like they lay it right out there like if you are brown skinned we are coming after you and that's yeah. something very scary about mm-hmm. that this also felt like the most natural logical outcome of where the purge would go mm-hmm. like why would you stop it one day when you can do this every single day um, it, it, if you felt like you had the power to do so, um, why stop at that point? And you could see where it would escalate. So, and we talked about like Devon and I talked about that in our Forever Purge episode, which is out now. So I would go back and listen to that. But I think for all those reasons, like how close it is to home right now, uh, in terms of its like recency and what we've seen here in this country. And the fact that you don't get like at least some sort of closure, mm-hmm. it does leave you leaving the theater with a bit of a like, I really don't like how this movie makes me feel mm-hmm. when I'm walking out of the theater. Um, all right. So that is our fifth place entry. And with fourth place, with a total of 13 points, Nicole, what was the next one in our list? Election year election year yes yeah and this one also got no first place votes it got two fifth place votes but it got also two second place votes so that boosted it up to a total of 13 when all was said and done in our very scientific poll yeah so what are your overall thoughts on election year well i was the one that i was one that voted it second place and it was a really tough one for me because I do love this one so 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 much it is really kind of become a comfort film for me in a lot of ways um I think I mentioned on the episode that I watched it on January 6th and you know having that ending is bone chilling in that moment um so I I really like it I think for me, what what ultimately made me decide on putting it second place was that the issue comes down to the time jump. And I completely understand the reason why. Because you want to create 
a world that the purge has existed mm-hmm. and it's fermented um it's pickled and we now see you know these younger kids that have lived in a world knowing nothing but a purge society how how different people react <laughs> to that so i understand the reason it just it doesn't completely land for me so i had to kind of scoot it down but i love it so much i love the sexual tension um it's ridiculous and so over the top um and the fact that it takes place in dc makes me very very happy Mm -hmm. shot in providence (laughs) taking place in dc just like scream six shot in the canadian borough of new york city (laughs) The seventh borough. Yeah. What about yourself, Ari? Um, I also put this one second. So this is high up on my list. It's one I really enjoy. Um, I was super excited to talk about it when we did our episode on it. And it's just like from the opening, which is like a, a great mixture of gruesome and silly, which is where my heart lives when there's the funk music and the guy in the scary mask and he's, you know, torturing the young senator's family. Um, Man, just saying that and calling it fun makes me sound horrible. But if you watch the movie, then you know that it's not, it's okay. Um, Yeah. I just think like the mix of action and horror, the characters, I love the um, showdown at the bodega Like, this movie is just a ton of fun for me. And I can kind of pretend it ends on a hopeful note, um, though it's more uncertain than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I had this somewhere in the middle, I believe. I like a lot of it. I think that it takes the good parts of anarchy and makes them better. It's just like the action gets better. It's shot a little bit better. I like the characters a bit more. Overall, I think, you know, Frank Grillo is distilled into the perfect Grillo-ness. Uh, it's peak Grillo, as I would say. Um, one thing I don't think I mentioned that on when we recorded, it's like the one thing about Elizabeth Mitch- Mitchell's character, uh, Senator Rowan, which I found like super grating, is like she obviously is, is anti-purge. Mm-hmm. But like every time she is rescued, she made it a point to tell her rescuers that she didn't approve their methods. Like she says it, I think, three times in the show. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you can get back out there then, lady. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I just have to let you know. I don't approve your methods. It's like, okay, nobody asked you. Uh, and thank you very much. Like we just rescued you. I found that like very much like kid who like her character would be the character that would write the kids names on the blackboard when the teacher left the room if they have other kids acted out the teacher come back and like he threw an eraser you know like she would be that person you know um so i just found that like super grating i didn't sense the sexual tension between grillo and elizabeth mitchell i just didn't see it i just thought Grillo was a man too scarred by all he's seen to have time for any romantic entanglements so I don't know but that's what makes the love so strong is that it's forbidden I think you need to go back and watch it again okay 
I, I might have to do that. <laughs> would it be forbidden? Like, I don't think there would be anything forbidden about their love. Well, was he like works for they, her. Right. They weren't doing the La Bamba or anything. No, but they like, want they to. True. I don't know. I'm writing a whole fan fiction in my head, apparently. An erotic okay. fan fiction about <laughs> the Purge 3. Right. Yeah, so you're right. There would be a power dynamic, and he probably ethically, she couldn't date him. So in Purge Night, it's like they just boned for 12 <laughs> hours. Like, that is the sequel to Election Year. It becomes Blumhouse's version of The Bodyguard. Okay. Yes. And I don't, we're not ready that. Didn't we talk about that though? How he would be, it would be a very short movie because Whitney Houston would get murdered and like, because like, we determined is like Frank Grillo as a bodyguard left a lot to be desired. Like, he obviously hired shitty people that betrayed him at the first impulse, right? But did she die though? She didn't. So technically, okay. he did great. But not, not, not. By anything that he did. <laughs> Not anything that he did, right? Uh, listen, she I'm a Frank Grillo again. apologist. Okay. But I think that, like, he's basically would be a downgrade from Kevin Costner. And, yeah. like, Whitney Houston would not have made it to act two of the body. It would be a short film, basically, <laughs> is what it would have been. All right. We're going to move on to our number three, and I'll tackle this one. In third place, with 15 points, we had The Purge Anarchy. Um, and I think this was actually, for me, I had this in fourth place. Like, it is my... It actually made me appreciate the first movie a little mm. bit more. But it gives you what you wanted out of the first movie. Like, And I think the writer-director, James DeMonico came out and said in interviews like promoting the purge anarchy he's like you will see purging in this movie he's like i know we kind of fucked up the first one it's just a home invasion movie but no trust me you will get your purge fix in in with purge anarchy and i think what i came to find out was like i didn't necessarily need that much purging in a purge movie once i got it it was almost too much it was like you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, and you're like, I will never get full. And then eight trips later from the buffet line, you're like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Um, but it's fun. Like, there's a lot of great action. It definitely ramps up the action. Frank Grillo is a lot of fun in this movie. It does have some surprises in it, um, like the sister getting shot and killed um, was kind of like one of the crazier moments. And I like that, and we said this in the episode, it expands the world and it starts talking more directly about some of the classism that's involved in the purge and the class divides and how there is very much a have and have not world here. And that if you are rich, you'll be fine. If you're poor, you may actually have to sacrifice yourself in order to provide for others like that scene with the grandfather sacrifice basically sells himself to yeah. be killed and there's nothing they're like well that's just how it is there's nothing we can do about it um and also how if you're in the suburbs you're like you'll probably be okay there's a bit more of a community there and you're probably going to be okay kind of like that little like that touch at the end when grillo gets to the person he wanted to purge 
that guy is sleeping tight. He's like fast asleep. He's not sweating purge night. Um, and his house isn't super, super secure, but he doesn't really have a lot to fear. So what were your thoughts on Anarchy? This uh, one got one first place vote. So. I liked it quite a bit. I think it's a wonderful kind of search and rescue type film where you have like this band of folks trying to find something, um, you know, a safety and kind of get to an angle. So I, I appreciate kind of that whole conceit. I agree that it expands on the world and it shows this actual purging outside of a certain kind of four walls. And I think that's really important. Why? I think where I struggle with it the most, you mentioned the grandfather. That is one of the most upsetting bits mm -hmm. in the franchise for me. I was a caregiver for my grandpa. I was very close with my grandpa. And, you know, my grandpa was very much kind of in that same vein of, I don't want you to go out of your way for me and was very kind of hesitant in that way and so it's a very i think it, it spoke to me personally i think the thing that it kind of fails to do is explore that whole concept more you bring it back in election year as basically folks that are i guess kind of signing up or giving themselves over to kind of this cultish idea. Mm -hmm. And we see this further explored in the TV series. But it just, it feels very like we want to throw this in, but we don't know what it is. And to me, that takes something very powerful and just completely dilutes it straight off. And I, I struggled with that. But I think... Everything else outside of that just works really, really, really well. Um, so I, I, I think it's it's just so solid. Yeah, this one's kind of in the middle for me, not because of anything that puts it down there, but just because the ones that are above it are like are higher up to me. Um, I like Anarchy. It's it's not one I revisit a ton. I really like the journey that Frank Grillo's character goes on, and then I like it even more knowing what happens in the third one. But basically, yeah, I agree with everything you both said, and it just kind of, that one's in the middle for me. Yeah. All right. Well, we have our top two. So we have, in second place, with a total of 16 points... Ari, why don't you talk about this next one? Yeah. So the next one is The Purge, the original, the first from 2013. And this is the one that I put at the top of my list, personally. I'm I'm very boring. I'm someone who, like, it's always going to be hard to get me off the, the first one's the best one in a franchise. Like, it's really hard to talk me down from that. Um, so I'm sure that that's part of it. But... This is the movie that kicks it all off. This is the movie that makes us want to see more. Like, I think about if we had started with the second movie or the third movie, like if we had started seeing 
a huge perspective on the purge with a ton of purging would we have wanted to see more but like the first movie gives you enough of like this is what could happen in one community to one family who thinks they're safe and then you go okay show me the rest of the world and i think that's really special um it's also the scariest to me like in terms of horror like watching a horror movie it does those elements well it's a great home invasion movie um, it also, I think, I mean, all of the Purge movies are about class and other kinds of bigotry, particularly racism. But I think the first movies focus on class and socioeconomic status specifically. It's hard for me to think of more horror movies, like recent horror movies that sort of go after that the same way. And so I think that's pretty special. I'm sure someone will tweet at me 10 movies that I'm not thinking of right now. But mm-hmm. um, of they <laughs> um, but I, I, I think The Purge is special for that. So, And it's mm-hmm. one that I'll revisit a lot because it's just sort of easy to watch. It doesn't ask a lot of you. Yeah. Let's say you – and this one, you were the first place vote for it. So I got one first place vote. Uh, and it got one last place vote. Which is me. Wow. What? But the thing is... So I, why is this movie hot trash, Nicole? It is it's not. It's not. I know it is not. We all... They're all three stars. are better. I know. It is... I think that this film is the perfect appetizer. I think it's a perfect, like, amuse-bouche of just giving you that taste of the concept of the bigger world out there it tells it in such a a great contained way um i think why i rank it where i do is that because of that there's no real i think thorough exploration of a lot of different themes i don't think that's maybe necessarily its intent because you know there's always that hope for let's spin this into more films and explore more Um, (laughs) but I really like it. It's just, I feel like it, (laughs) it doesn't push as hard Mm -hmm. as some of the other entries, but I, I, I really like Ari's point about this being, you know, maybe one of the only like full out and out horror films, um, of, the franchise because the other ones get very actiony um get very kind of like political intrigue i guess um with the third um so i i to that point i think again it it speaks very highly of it i think it's a really great home invasion film but as a purge film it just introduces the idea and it doesn't really do anything with that idea in and of itself yeah yeah, I think by the time you get to the midpoint of the series, you can make the argument that as a whole, it's much more of an action series than a horror series. The horror comes from the scenario. Mm-hmm. like The horror comes from this idea that this is what we've let our society devolve into. Much like Escape from New York isn't really a horror movie, but there's like a certain element of horror that comes from understanding this is how far things have slid, so this is where we're at now. Mm-hmm. Um I had this like ranked, I think, second as well in my rankings because it's a great home invasion movies. It's a great home invasion movie. 
And I love home invasion as a subgenre. I'm all yeah. about your next. I'm all me about too. House of the Devil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, give me. I'm all about movies. Like The Guest, I think, is a low key, great home invasion movie. The Strangers, the first half of The Strangers, when the couple do not know that they're being hunted, is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Inside is one. Oh Probably a movie I'll never watch again because of that ending. Um, yeah. Even though I think it was the night my daughter was conceived, we had watched Inside. You've definitely so. said that before. So even if I it's know, not I'm true, sorry. It, no, now it, it it's becomes a legend true. now at this point. It's lore. Um, so I, and, you know, Ethan Hawke is great. I mean, Ethan Hawke has kind of become the Blumhouse ace in the hole yeah. between this and Sinister. Uh, he's someone that, like, does great work in these genre pictures. Um, Do you I... disagree, Nicole? <laughs> yeah, he's... He bores me in this. Yeah. Um, because Jen, he's... my other co-host in psychoanalysis, would absolutely fist fight you right now. Like, so. he's attractive. I'm not fighting that. First off, where's the sweater? Like, I don't see a lot of sweater wear here. That's true. Um, it's springtime. It's It's May. I know, but they're still sweaters. Um, a light sweater situation is fine. Cardigan, maybe? Yeah. Um, but I feel... I I think he's a fun character. Really, Lena is, I think, the standout for me in the first. And, and her, as the matriarch, as Mary, really, um, I think, is kind of an emotional center um, of the film and I think he I will say though like I do give him his flowers for Sinister I think Sinister mm-hmm. is, a, is a lot of fun yeah I love Sinister absolutely adore that movie but I think with this movie watching it a decade later it's very much like the Sandins are a harder family to root for yeah. just because mm-hmm. you're like kind of like eat the rich like, okay, you kind of are getting your comeuppance here for... Um, but it's the rich the, eating the rich. It is that. Um, and that's okay. Then there'll be fewer of them. It does lead to a great moment in the television series where there's a cold open with Ethan Hawke's character saying, it's the system that I use to protect my home. Yeah. You'll be great. And it's a great wink to folks that know it. Um, but it's not much of a purge movie. As a matter of fact, the yeah. cold open they have where you have all that footage was added after test screenings because audiences are like, where is the purging? Uh, so it does whet your appetite. And maybe if this was at the midpoint of the series, it would rank higher because, again, it would be one of those <sighs> tale that you're telling in the middle of this expanded universe but Mm -hmm. as a series opener it kind of leaves you wanting to scratch that itch like well what is the purge actually all about so but still terrific home invasion movie great cast really good action horror and like you said nicole the most horror of any of the ones in the series so okay did everyone talk about that one Mm -hmm. yes okay um sorry i'm losing a little Mm -hmm. track my bad so in first place, with 22 points, Nicole, take it away. The first purge 
not yeah. the purge we just talked about, the first purge uh, from 2018. I, um, I rank this as my first. I think in the episode, I talked about how this is the film that had the most work to do. Uh, to go back after we had established a world and create the entry point really in a specific way is not easy. Um, you have to create kind of a whole new world, even though we have the inkling of what that world is. And <laughs> you're dealing with a lot of expectations <laughs> and assumptions. So I really like um, how they approach that. I think, to me, this feels um, very realistic. We talked about that with the Forever Purge, it feeling very kind of real. Um, I feel like this is kind of real in a lot of ways, especially, you know, in 2018, as we're um, seeing more and more protests um, and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, really becoming a, a prominent force in, in showing what was happening to um, communities of color. Um, I just feel like it's um, there's some moments in this film that while this film does, I think, lend much more action, especially towards the end, there are some really upsetting, upsetting images in this film that are really hard to shake off. And yeah. I think while not all of the specific, there, there are a couple of moments that you're like, what, what is this? Um, but I think it just really hits um, all of its its points uh, really well, and and yeah, I I've probably revisited this one only a handful of times just because mm -hmm. you know upsetting imagery. I gotta prepare myself, but it's I I, I think it's really good, and and you get Marissa Tomei. Yeah, and whoever did that to her hair. Definitely made her purge list. <laughs> Definitely, 100%. What about yourself, Ari? I mean, it, this movie's great, and i it's hard to make a good prequel. Like, that. I, that's a really good point, Nicole, about how, like, once we're already used to this world, we're on the fourth movie, how do you go back and tell us the beginning and make it all tie together and make it make sense? And it's both chilling and really interesting and a little bit over the top sometimes, but like not too over the top. Like you still can be scared by it because it still could be too mm -hmm. realistic. Um, and the Skeletor, the character that they call Skeletor, um, mm -hmm. I mean, he's the villain, he's the perjurer, but I really enjoy his antics throughout. And I think like just a lot of the action that comes from that is really strong so yeah it's a it's a strong mil movie it it's in the middle for me kind of with anarchy mm -hmm. yeah i had this as my number one and there were three number one votes for this one it didn't rank lower than third on anyone's list which was interesting yeah, i think it was pretty pretty solid first choice it's funny because this one, I would argue, ends on the most hopeful note of any of the movies. I and agree, yet, yeah. 
It's the community coming together. It's we're going to rebuild. I would say that like the ending of this movie with the community coming together is more hopeful than Nicole. You look horrified. Oh, nothing, nothing about this to me is hopeful because we know what happens. Well, that is my, that's the second half of my point is like, you know, what's going to happen after, like, if you just watch this on its own and didn't know there were four other movies and didn't know, um, that this was like going to continue, you could argue that like, Oh, this community is going to band together to ensure this doesn't continue to happen. Whereas like, even like you said with election year, where like okay the person you want to win has won and this is it the purge is over mm-hmm. it still ends with that note of unrest where it's like but um nffa forces are ga- and supporters are gathering to protest the results and aren't accepting them and then the forever purge it ends with basically a satellite shot of the whole country on fire so it's kind of mm-hmm. like not quite a- and then the first one ends with dead ethan hawk you know, like you're going to, so I don't know, like compost, I guess. Um, so to me, like this one really is the most hopeful, but you also know where it's going to go. It's a great action movie. It is the probably the most competently, like you definitely see like it, a step up in terms of the direction in this movie. Um, it that The characters are still pretty thin, but they feel like good exploitation film characters the action can get very ridiculous at times but i think that's a good thing and there's also great moments where what this movie has to say is like communities will come together like if you it's really 99 percent of the people don't want to purge unfortunately that one percent makes up a very large loud violent number but if communities can stick together, they can get through it. So I thought that was a like that block party scene where everyone is like, you know, if we're going to purge, like what we're going to do that's illegal, like I'm going to rob an ATM. We're going to have, you know, sex out in public. Like that is the shenanigans that we're going to get into at this point, um, much less so than murder, except for like your skeletors of the world. Yeah. And so. I... And I get that. I think for me, it's just it. To me, it's just the ending is the most upsetting because you see these people that especially those characters that um, have really been against the experiment and have put themselves out there from kind of its conception when it was being you know an idea introduced to the community to know that their work has been for naught and they have still experienced such devastation and um you know the just the scene of them approaching the church after there's been a massacre and knowing that that church is filled with dead people, dead children, mm-hmm. just is... Yeah, uplifting. 
it, it's so upsetting and that this is considered a coup for them. This is considered like a happy time because now they can make this happen elsewhere. Right. And I, yeah, it's just, it's so bleak to me, but I do think that the bleakness is like mixed with kind of the fizziness mm-hmm. of the action. And you do kind of get wrapped up in that and yeah. it does make you root for them. You are, even though you know it's, you're not getting the ending that you want, you are rooting for these characters to band together to um, survive the night and, you know, continue to try to make a difference. The church is interesting because it was clearly off limits to the community and it was an unspoken rule. Anyone gathering in the church is off limits and nobody in the community had to be told that. It just was accepted that this is the way it's going to be. And it wasn't until you had the outsiders, the members of the that the NFFA were paying to kind of come in and take part in order to like get things going. Because like the purge was like shown to be like failing. Like, whoa, nobody actually really wants to hurt one another. Um, that is when the church became a target at that point. So I thought that was like very interesting that there was very clearly off limits to anybody that was actually part of the community. And when you think about that particular community, the church would be such a focal point and such like a cultural center that it it totally makes sense as to why that would be. So, all right. Any final thoughts? Or did I get everybody? Okay. I'm sorry. Been a long day. Any final thoughts before we wrap up here tonight? I just, uh, I can't wait for the sixth one. I hope it happens. Yeah. Do you think it'll be more global? Do you, or do you think you, do you think it'll still be confined to the U S or are we going international? I hope we tighten it up again a little bit just because mm-hmm. the movies I like more are more contained, but mm-hmm. nobody making the movie has asked me what I think yet. So I'm not really sure. If you're listening, I would love, we got it in the second season of the TV show. I would love like a heist purge. Give me like oceans 11. Oh, I love a heist mixed with the purge. Yeah. That was like the best part of the second season for me, which I really enjoyed. Um, Like I would, if we were ranking the TV show, like that might actually sit, the second season at like number two on my list. I really enjoyed that season as a whole. Um, and I might rank that above most of the movies in terms of like rewatchability. Yeah. I, I like that it introduces the non-murder crime in a very specific way. And, you know, I think if there's any, I think lacking of the franchise it is the exploration of that. You know, there's so there's there's so much more to touch on besides just out murder. and out murder mm-hmm. yeah. and the ramifications of those yep. that I think um I, I would love for the sixth film to go international. I think we've opened that box um by having folks take um, you know, refuge in Mexico mm-hmm. and Canada. And now, like I said, you you can't open your borders and, you know, 
just say, okay, well, are you going to purge? Okay, well, you can come in, you can't. Like, there's no... But I think they were (laughs) locking them down very quickly. Like, it was like a very short period of time for persons to... Which also seemed ridiculous because there's such a small sliver of folks that could actually make it to those points Mm -hmm. in that amount of time, which was probably the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see it international. I would love to see if we're doing it that way, go back to election year with the purge tourist. Mm-hmm. Yes. And let's see, let's see the fruition of that because yeah. that seems to have gone, um, away. So I, I would love to see, yeah. see that aspect. And if you go small and contained again, Something where, like in the second season, a similar type of story is to like the neighbor that everyone hated so much they took out a contract on him and everybody chipped in. I think was like it's the opposite of a GoFundMe. It was just like it's a Go Fuck You. Yes, I just thought that was great when he's like, "What the fuck did I do to you, people?" Um, I've not seen the I TV felt, show. I'm gonna have to watch it. It sounds awesome. This, <laughs> It's the sick. second season is really, gr- I really liked it. I thought the characters were better, and most of it takes place in between the two purges. The first one, it's a bit ridiculous, and they kind of run out of steam after five episodes, so they have to like escalate the shenanigans to a point where it's kind of like Rivals 24 in terms of like, oh no, Kim was kidnapped, <laughs> and now she's getting attacked by a mountain lion. <laughs> um, it's that level of... And there's a character in it that just, like... He's the kind of guy he gets upset because, like, he and his wife start initiating threesomes and he's upset because he's not the focal point, basically. And he just looks like the kind of guy that would get upset oh, by that. Boy. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we talked about that in the episode. Yes. So that was a... uh, I'm yeah, repeating myself now. Um all right, so let's talk a little bit about us and where you can find us and where you can hear more of us. So, Nicole, what is going on with yourself and Bodies of Horror? Bodies of Horror is back after a small break. Um, we've got two episodes out that have released kind of post a little bit of a hiatus. And, yeah, the most recent episode is Pearl. And Mike was able to come on and just really... I think have a wonderful discussion about some of the mental health aspects that we yeah. see. I feel like I really elevated the discourse. I really, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. No, I, I, you will get no argument on that from me. I, I think it was really wonderful and I really appreciate you coming on. I know you are a very busy person, but you just spending time um, to kind of share your thoughts and your expertise um, means the world. Well, you you'll have you'll be back on when we cover that series now that like Maxine is starting to film. So, you know, you know that we have to cover X and Pearl and Maxine here uh, in 2024. I think is when we'll be able to get to that. So, mm. excellent. And where can we find Bodies of Horror? So, Bodies of Horror is on the Anatomy of a Scream uh, feed. So, um, I am just one of many shows there um so i if you aren't subscribed if you're not familiar with anatomy of the scream 
highly recommend checking it out because new shows uh, pop up uh, all the time. So it's it's kind of a, a treat that way. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find Bodies of Horror. Yeah. And if someone is searching for, they have to search for Anatomy of a Scream on the podcast apps, right? I think you can also find it by looking up Bodies of Horror because I think, you know, it's in the title. But, okay. yeah, I think if you want to be succinct and you want to be um, kind of just straightforward with it, look up Anatomy of a Scream and Got Bodies it. of Horror is on there. Got it. And Ari, what's going on with ghouls? Oh, my gosh. So, um, we are at the beginning of a new month. We're at the beginning of April here. And we are kicking off um, the coming of age horror month. So you can watch for podcasts and articles about coming of age horror. And I have a members only piece coming out about Shiloh in Repo the Genetic Opera. Mm-hmm. For fans of that, there are dozens of us. Um, and for the month of April, we are having a sale. So you can, if you're not a Ghouls Magazine member yet, first of all, what are you doing? Because they're missing out on so much content. But uh, lucky for you, throughout the month of April, you can sign up for your first month for 99 pence. And then it's £4.99 every month after that. And if you just want to check us out, see our backlog of content, you can do that for 99 cents. So ghoulsmagazine.com and then click the banner at the top of the website to take you to the sale page. And you can find me on Twitter at Ari underscore Hellraiser. Excellent. Well, folks, you can find my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, everywhere you get podcasts. Like that's where we cover horror movies through the lens of mental health. Uh, We have some really fun stuff coming up for the month of April. I just did a not only a guest spot on Anatomy of a Scream and Bodies of Horror, but I also did a guest spot that is dropping uh, on the 11th, so I think right around the same time as this, on the Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star podcast with Joe Lipset and uh, Brenna Gray, where they talk about young adult literature and film and TV, and I brought say anything to the table so the rare non-horror movie appearance where i got to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time one that will make me weep one that i can pretty much quote i think it was joe's first time watching it and brenna and i just gushed over john cusack as lloyd dobler for a solid hour because i fucking love that movie um, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian on Twitter and Instagram and I guess Spoutable now, but I haven't completed the whatever thing on the jig. And Mike Chump Change at Letterbox. So follow me there. Um, as far as the show goes, we are busy planning. We've got some like awesome stuff lined up. So we are going to take a two episode diversion into the land of torture porn which is a first for us are is the term torture porn offensive that's a great question i'm so glad you asked it mike um i think it's one of those where we're starting to kind of take it back and say yeah you know what it's okay to call a subgenre what it is and if that's what we're calling it you know that's 
that's fine. But it definitely was coined to be offensive. It was coined yeah. to be dismissive. So um, until we come up with, with a better way, I mean, it is what it is. The collector's torture porn, and I love it. Uh, and that's what we'll be covering. We'll be covering the collector and the collection for two movies. It's going to be interesting. I took a sick day recently and watched them back to back. And I was definitely like, these movies are a lot. These movies. Yes. And I'm excited because, like, I've always wanted to get the backstory of the gimp from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and there we do. Now we have it. That is not so true. Um, it is 100% true. I should. There's a box. and every... He's put in a box at the end. And then he's sent over to Zed. I mean, that is. I, I get the technology doesn't line up. Speaking of time jumps. Mm -hmm. um yeah i should maybe throw a quick content warning on those movies for listeners um there's a lot in there that's a little bit rough so um Mm. there's animal stuff there's bug stuff there's lots of gruesome body horror so you know if it's something where you think that's not typically the kind of movie you watch then maybe read a little bit about it before you dive into it Mm -hmm. i don't want to accidentally ruin anybody's day um but it's the collector is a comfort movie for me so i'm really excited to talk about it the sound design is out of control and we were talking about home invasion movies and horror heist movies and the collector has both yes that's true Mm -hmm. that is very true pulp fiction is timeless and exists (laughs) you're still on this I got mad at a student because he wears a Pulp Fiction sweatshirt. And it's this awesome kid. Love the kid. Like, I've been working with him for four years. I really, like, brightens my day. But it's Mr. Snoonian. Pulp Fiction, I want. It's trash. And I yelled at him. I'm like, you sit here. I'm like, that is a goddamn masterpiece. And, like, I pulled up Rotten Tomatoes and started reading the screen cap reviews (laughs) to him. And I'm just like, you go back and you watch this movie and you tell me. He's like, okay. He did. He's like, okay, it was pretty good. Uh, so I'm like, I feel like I won. Uh, yeah, I think that you interaction. Did. I think you, did. you know, like I, I was, I was fake mad, but yeah, mad, well, yeah, no. Know? So I'm like, come on, kids. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was something. Um, I want to when Tarantino's tenth film hits. I think I need to do a. Number one, I will cry because I don't care if it, you know, like, oh, you're such a dude. I fucking love his movies. I'm with you. So anyway, yeah, I'm with you. Getting, getting, uh, getting off track here. After the collector and collection, we are going to do Hellraiser. I'm sorry, not Hellraiser. We're, <laughs> we're never doing Hellraiser. Oh Someone got excited. We're never doing that. <laughs> Too many. No. Um, we're doing Hell Knight. So we have like three movies. Hell House LLC. God fucking damn it. It's been a I'm on our I was gonna say you've today. worked okay. all day. It's okay. I just I ruined the reveal twice. <laughs> Alright, we're doing Hell Night. Big whoop. Who cares? Three <laughs> movies. Um and Evil Dead Rises. So that will make up uh so Evil Dead Rises in after in between the collection and then Hell House LLC. Uh, and then we were talking about what we're going to do in June, and I'm not ready to announce it yet. We're going to break script a little bit, but if we do it, I think it will be 
so much fun. And that is all. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this 30-minute excursion. <laughs> Quick <Wicked> little <laughs> countdown. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed the TV series uh, that we discussed and the rankings. And I'm kind of sad to see these movies go. I really enjoyed watching them. And I really enjoyed talking about them with y'all. So take care, everyone. Have a great one.